0: This is Kelly McCrimmon, former Robert Tiger player coach. You're listening to the Monday Nooner.
1: Welcome to all the degenerates and pigeons tuned in. Welcome to Twirl 162 of the Monday Nooner Podcast. Our pod, as always, is brought to you by the King of Trucks in Rosetown Mainline GM, Mainline Chrysler, worth the drive. Every time guaranteed out to Rosetown. And fellas, we're back with our uh, September Twirl. And why don't we start there with a plug for our title sponsor, the King of Trucks, who are back on board Uh, again this year as the title sponsor of
2: the... The Nooner, the king of trucks in Rose Town, and yet they had GM and the Chrysler dealership, but now they're expanding. That's right. They said, Let's take this across the full mainline group. They love the Monday Nooner so much because they're in Kindersley, they're in, they have the Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram in Watrous, they have the new store in Southey, and shit, they're even in Verdon, Ooh. Manitoba. For the Manitoba fans out there. So let me get this straight. So you farmed a day or two in your in your day, Brandon, right? Mm-hmm. When you're far yeah. when you're out there farming right now, that's all you're doing. You know, you're listening to the radio and, and getting the crop off. Are you maybe thinking about purchasing a new vehicle? Like tax time coming up, maybe you know, mama needs a new ride or you need a new ride? It's going through your mind, right?
1: It might be. Yeah, it could be for sure. Yeah. Why do you ask?
2: I just think because when I'm bored, I like to shop. Yeah. I start looking at, at stupid things and a vehicle (laughs) isn't a stupid thing, but uh, I know it's not an impulse buy per se, but I was just saying those guys out there, like I know uh, not a shout out here, but I know a guy that's harvesting Bart Holt. He's, he's doing a lot of up and down and, and it looks monotonous. And I'm just like, yeah, I would be probably striking up some deals on, uh, online somewhere. So we got them all covered now, right? The whole province, pretty much, if you're looking, and in that Verdon area. So yeah, thanks to the King of Trucks. We don't have the specials for this month yet, but if we release another one in September, we'll have uh, we'll have what they're doing. A lot of used action, though. They got a lot. Like the King, the King's best in market pre-owned. It's called unusual deals on those right now. So there you go.
1: Yeah, happy to have them uh, back on board, and yeah, you mentioned the harvest thing. Belts is here too, by the
2: way. He hasn't chimed in yet, but uh, the harvest first- Harvey's ever harvested in
3: his day. I harvested day. lots in my day, lots in my day. Any, any impulse buys while harvesting? New swather, maybe or
1: <laughs> cultivator. That was pre uh, <laughs> pre online shopping when Belts was running the uh, yeah. whole type combine. They didn't have auto Bag steer full. or anything. They didn't have. It was different back then. You needed both hands engaged. Now everything's auto steered up and you can sit back and yeah. scroll on X or Twitter or Instagram or whatever and uh, listen to podcasts. And a lot of people say like this time of year with Harvest, they're getting a lot of podcasts because like you listen to local radio. But like, I mean, I remember I'd listen to CJWW here, like the same newscast, like yeah. for eight hours in a row, You just both could recite the news stories off by heart because you listened so long. And then call for country comes on or the Saturday night dance party. And then it really gets turned up. But uh, (laughs) yeah, nowadays podcasts are the, are the big thing when you're killing eight, nine, 10, 12 hours. So appreciate everybody tuned in. I know lots of people still out in the fields uh, this time of the year. So we got a special harvest twirl here for you this week, our September show. And why don't we mention one of our other sponsors, actually a brand new sponsor to the Monday nooner podcast and they've got roots to that roadstown area as well and it fits in nicely because they are our official uh, farm implement sponsor of the pod
2: western sales has jumped on board yes. john deere and i think if i ever farmed i'd be a john deere guy just Green guy because of the song mostly because of the song big joe Deffy fan big joe Diffie guy but uh yeah no they and they they're just they're senior hockey guys and girls, too, right? Like what what the dealerships are all around that Sask Valley area.
1: Yes, yeah, seven of them, I believe. Six or seven dealerships. Rose Outlook, Bigger, Central Butte, Davidson, Elrose. They got them all covered out there in the uh Sask Valley part of the province. So really excited to have them on board. And by the way, Rosetown, which I don't know if that's considered their flagship store or not, but if you did write Barry loves Charlene on their water tower, I don't think it would show up because I actually think their water tower is already green, rider green in Rosetown. So I don't know if the John Deere green would show up too well on their water tower. Did you say
2: Barry loves Charlene?
1: (laughs) Big Bear loves Charlene,
2: yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so their extended hours during harvest – serve their customers all the time, right? Uh, You call your dealership. They got someone on call until 9 p.m. And then they also wanted us to talk about Expert Connect. Uh, It's a free mobile app that you can use directly to directly submit support tickets to our teams. Huh, look at where it's come. You talked about listening to Call for Country. And now you can just direct with an app, say what you need. What would what would be the what would be the main thing that would go down as a city kid? Come on, you guys give it to me. Main Ooh. thing that would go down when you're harvesting right now.
3: Now who knows? Computers oh, man. like that's what I mean. Like back back in the day, you'd have blown a belt or something, you'd have just fixed it yourself. And now you can't even probably do that.
1: Well, I that's think the uh John Deere guys, though, right? They don't break down as much that green green paint seems to keep going. So seems buzzing, yeah. not as many support tickets, but it's nice to know if you do if you do need one, you can just do it on the old app from the field you don't have to wait on hold or whatever i know they've got like you mentioned those extended hours too which is huge this time of year because it ain't no eight to five for the uh, farmers out there it's a it's a 18 20 24 hour days for some people for sure around the clock we're going to get the crop off so yeah really excited to have western sales on board we're gonna they're gonna jump in really uh with both feet in senior hockey season they're going to be a sponsor of our uh game of the week i think and they're also going to uh, help us bring some inside info on the Champions League, the Sask Valley, because obviously that's where most of their locations are. And they've got a lot of senior hockey weapons that play for uh, that work at Western sales too. So we'll give plugs to some of those guys maybe throughout the winter. Western sales weapons.
2: We got, uh, you know, let's get into the last show recap first, right off the hop for Arctic spas in Regina and Saskatoon. It is hot tub season, no doubt about it. The nights are getting cooler, so you can call Saskatoon or Regina. They got a lot of stock right now, deals going on. You can always ask for the Monday noon or senior hockey deal. But if you need a hot tub, now is the time to buy from Arctic spa in Saskatoon and Regina. Last show, we had... From Spitting Chicklets, the Rear Admiral. And I had Great.
4: Uh, Great a number name. of people
2: say, Who is this guy? And why should Great. I listen? And I was like, Spitting Chicklets, biggest hockey podcast in the world, uh, kind of started the thing. They're like, Oh. And then once they listen, they're like, Really cool story. The custodian thing blows me away.
1: Mopped a haul or two, no doubt. <laughs> Run He's, he yelled at some kids for leaving sneaker marks. They got the black soles on their shoes and they're burning out in the hallways
2: <laughs> laying rubber. You guys, do you guys have any cool uh, custodians in your schools or are they just kind of weirdos? We had a but, couple
1: of weapons. They're beauties. We had one guy who always wore like his ring of keys on his belt. So you could hear him <laughs> yeah. from like a,
2: seven classrooms away. There's Timmy. Anyway, key guy. you wanted to keep that guy close to your chest vest, right? Like you wanted or you wanted to, to have him in your corner because you knew you were gonna need him at some time. King George School, Steve, oh, what was his last name? Prebershuski, something like that. McGonagall. He <laughs> was uh, so he's probably in his late 20s, right? Inner city school, doing a little custodian work. He lived for Thursday and Tuesday night open gyms from seven to eight at old King George, because all we did was play uh, floor hockey and he would come out and dangle with us. And this guy, like he'd get all of his shit done and whatever to come down and play with the grade seven and eight kids on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I remember that Steve was the coolest, probably janitor that any of the schools in Saskatoon, greater school. Probably not
1: as cool now as, as it was at the time. Yeah. A little creepy now thinking back, but
2: <laughs> oh, fuck. I, just you know, to, no, I just wanted to get out there and twirl with the fellas. And then he, no one, no one wanted, I don't know I'm going off on this. No one wanted to run the rink that one winter. And he said, you know what? These kids, it'll give them something to do. I'll do the backyard. I'll do the rink in the backyard. So I remember him flooding it. Great. Uh, yeah. So rear admiral joined us. And then uh, if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen. And then what do we have senior hockey wise? You had quite a bit there too. We had the kid. I shouldn't say kid.
1: The young Oilers fan there from Rolo, didn't we? Yeah,
3: big Rolo guy.
1: Big uh, Lee slash Rolo guy. Bringing the Ramblers back to the uh, Div three, right? Belts is neck of the woods there. They're going to be fired up this year. So we got another senior hockey uh, interview this week, and a team that's coming back. We'll get to that. Well, why don't we get into our come up now that we've looked back? Let's jump into the uh, come up, which is for another big sponsor that's. Back on board, B.O.B., the day group of companies out in Carnduff, Fowls and the boys, Dennis Day, his group of companies, General Well Servicing, uh, the main sponsor, but we like to give all their companies a plug. General Well, uh, back not only, fellas, for the come up, but they're also going to be back for the Senior Hockey Top 10 sponsorship, so they'll be bringing that uh, all winter long here on the Nooner, so happy to have them back on board as as well.
2: Thanks so much to general law servicing coming up in the show, as Brandon mentioned, we are going to talk senior hockey and one of the new teams, one of the new teams that's making a lot of noise in the province. We're going to have one of their executive members join us some hot and heavy. I don't want to say gossip, but maybe back and forth and borderline threats being posted on social media with a team that didn't get in to a certain league in Saskatchewan. And then the interview an all timer for me, this is one guy I wanted to talk to for a long time the general manager of the Las Vegas Golden Knights and former Robert Tiger in the Wild Goose Hockey League Kelly McCrimmon is going to join us so that's the come up for general well servicing
1: I think people are gonna like that one uh Saskatchewan people especially because he's so sasky right like you'll hear it in the interview but as much as he loved hockey it was all uh it was farming senior hockey very relatable uh guy and even now down in vegas he still speaks fondly of of the farm and senior hockey back in the day so yeah it's a really great interview coming up here in just a few minutes so look forward to that fellas why don't we get into shout outs another sponsor back synergy ag local crop input retailer locations all over soil plant analytics you got those inputs. Uh, You got to get them for next year, so why not support the local guys? And maybe why not uh, get in touch this fall and get everything lined up for next spring now so you're not scrambling uh, right before seeding season next year to get those uh, inputs locked in. So reach out to your local Synergy AG, Brad Hamner, and crew back on board too. The nooner.
3: The the boys are spread out good too. Like I've been cruised some of the highways in Sask, and you seem to, every time you turn, they're there. Location on location, bunch they of new it? ones.
2: Yeah. A nice job with their traveling billboards, those trucks. A lot like Rusty yeah. Shovel. You see them coming from a from a uh, mile away. Shout outs uh this week for Synergy uh,
3: AG. I'll get buzzing. We were uh so yeah, funny. I was actually gone this weekend past to uh left king camp doing some scouting down there for the fellas, and uh Pete Anholt said who's talking to uh, telling a story about McCrimmon said he was just an old weapon. those guys are buddies from back in the day. And we're just sitting at the supper table one night with all the, all the brass and, uh, and brings up the nooner and uh, a couple of the guys are like the nooner and this guy I'm sitting beside new guy that we just hired as our goalie coach, young guy just finished playing up U of a going to give a big shout out to old sock guy. You'll know who he is, but yeah, I chucked him a hat, big nooner fan. He said him and the fellas, always listened to us he got offered some uh some decent sticks and gas to come back and play in Macklin but he said he just uh too busy can't do her so anyway yeah shout out to the fellas love is sooner so Matt Berlin
2: played... yeah he would have played with the Berlin guy right yeah well wasn't Matt
3: <laughs> yeah it wasn't him yeah. no wasn't Matt what a yeah. weapon though so Soccer- wasn't Matt isn't
1: that his name yeah the goal- that's
3: the goalie but that's no, no, not no. who you gave we'll the no, uh, no. that's not okay. who you gave the hat to no.
2: Yeah, because okay. Matt Matt Berlin's like an underwater geoscientist, some sort of I don't think he's working. Matt
1: Berlin is that guy who is like famous for 48 hours and in like a year it's gonna be like, <laughs> Matt Who? <laughs> Matt Who? Who's that guy? Cool. Great so, guy. Oh, that's so
2: funny. great guy. Great. Came on the pod and with 10 minutes warning. Uh that's cool. So the guy's got a hat up in uh so he lives that- in Edmonton.
3: Well, sorry, Calgary. Now he's in Calgary, and he is uh, obviously working for the for the hurricane. So he's pretty busy with that now. So he'll be uh, he'll be buzzing around Lethbridge, Calgary, with the uh, the old red red lid on.
1: Nice, love to hear it, Barry. You got anything for uh, shout outs this week?
2: Yeah, I got a couple. Uh, Dave, speaking of the Carabert Tigers, this guy was an absolute legend in the Wild Goose back in the b- 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 let's say mid nineties late 90s maybe early 90s sorry if i'm fucking it up i guess he listens to the pod he's talking to my cousin he said uh dave morale is his name you might remember that name brandon from around the area he was an absolute i think uh assault. kelly
1: mccrimmon brought him up in the interview maybe when he was I talking about a the relative weapons. might have oh. been
2: dave's dad that he yeah but the morale uh dave morale i guess he listens shout out to him gof gave me the heads up and then i gotta give uh A shout-out to old Furnace Face, Todd Ripplinger. Give us a little box-seat action for the Shake the Lake and Collective Soul. Kind of bullied our way in there, actually, but his lovely wife, Leanne. And then Brent Parker was in there. Had a nice chat with uh, Parks. Had a dry rib and a meatball in in the box. So, nice evening, Collective Soul. They were okay. So-so.
1: I saw Furnace Face last night, actually. I told him he's a... uh... Eight dressed up as an 11 <laughs> in golf. He's the only 11 who shot 75 that one week or whatever he shot he, in men's night.
2: He was, wearing, he was wearing slacks that <laughs> night that it was, it was, it was supposed to rain or whatever. And then it ended up being like 44 with the humidex. He and was he leaking was,
1: oil before he teed off.
2: He was walking guaranteed whatever undergarments he had on. They went directly in the garbage. He ain't salvaging those things. Yeah. Old ripper.
1: Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Shout out Synergy AG. I wanted to just give a quick one to uh new coffee shop in town called Real Food. <laughs> just... <laughs> Come on. know <laughs> Real something. Coffee. Real Coffee. Yeah, we're not going to get into that right now. I'm sure that'll uh...
3: oh, <laughs> make a
1: segment on the show about real because it's <laughs> and I'm thinking maybe we call it real embarrassing or real gross <laughs> as uh, I saw on Twitter. We're I, just here.
2: I think I think we should get into the tirade after right the uh shout outs for synergy ag. Let's get into the tirade for high tech profiles. I know we always put it at the back end of the program, but the high tech profile, what's the uh what's the read that they wanted? They have it hasn't given us a new one in about nine months. No, we
3: the the fellas want us to come tour the plant.
2: I understand that. But what do yeah. they for do people we got no read? Are just listening? First We're time
3: buzzing. We're just first buzzing. time.
2: Never listen to the nooner. What do we you tell them about high tech?
3: Anything done metal wise. They got everything. Pipe, flat metal. They can cut, weld, bend, do anything you need done. They can get her done. Top to bottom. Saskatoon locations in Saskatoon and Regina, they can do it all. Uh, yeah. I think they do weapon, a lot of agriculture them.
2: stuff now oh, too, tons. right? Oh, Yeah. Yeah. And
3: welding, stainless welding, aluminum welding, anything you need done. Laser. They have Tube the lasers. Laser.
2: Yeah, laser cutting. So high tech profiles. Saskatoon and Regina. You mentioned people who don't know what high tech is. Maybe we I'm got some new listeners up. who are like, "I'm going to. Why do you? What tee is, is this place? You guys always I'm talk about it up. I'm, I it was up. just getting into that. I'm going to paint the picture for them. Complex of six <laughs> ice hockey rinks. Beautiful. Allegedly. When they built it for a scout, for anything. Well, Shane, now you're scouting. You get it. Yeah. It is an unbelievable place to go watch a tournament. You can Perfect. scout everything in one under one roof. Walk up and down <laughs> easy to One leaking roof.
3: I found I found a new hey. Can I I found, I new, paint hey, the, I I paint found hang on? I found a new leak today in six. I just want to say <laughs> found a new leak. I was watching, I heard the drip drip. I actually moved the garbage can one foot and caught the drip for him. Just doing it, my right. part.
2: So people that aren't fortunate enough to live in Regina, there's this complex. They built it and it was unreal and they have a soccer center attached to it and then the old decrepit brand center is kind of in the same complex but they kind of paint this like campus they make it like it's they they toured they you know they they spent a lot of taxpayer money and gone traveling to these places and looked and they said okay well what's called the campus cuz that's what they do in Florida and Dallas or wherever right so then this rink has just become neglected and unbelievably uh run poorly and now if you just tuning in a couple weeks ago kids were trying to get on the ice 15 minutes 10 minutes early to skate young kids and one of the workers said kids can't go on we're sick of kids stealing our ice like what you work at a hockey rink, man. Like So anyway, I'm trying to paint the picture for these people. The showers are leaking all the time. Like these guys said, the roof is leaking. They have literally 70 employees on when there's 12 people in the rink. You can't park in the back for some reason. They they, they shut down half the parking lot. It is an absolute joke. And they got this board on there. And there's like some real snake oil salesman on there. And then some it, it's yeah, it's so the, the newest thing is if everybody knows Tim Hortons and hockey are kind of hand in hand, like, yep. you know, we're fortunate. Synonymous in, in this day and age, you can get a Tim Hortons cause there's one right there and then go to any six rinks. So they sat down and I probably get why they might've thought this, but then you got to think it through. They said, we're getting rid of Tim Hortons beside a hockey rink and we're going with our own branded bake shop and coffee shop. And we're getting rid of Western Pizza, which they butchered the Western Pizzas all the time anyway, so it's probably good for Western Pizza because they're fantastic. And now they're going with their own thing. So what can now now the floor is open, pan, painted it up. Like is this this they're just going to lipstick on a pig Nabob like with the big it, silver canister. Yeah, like, yeah, I was just going to say now. Got we, the, we got, got, the, got the,
3: the silver percolator in there. They're just percolating the coffee. <laughs> so yeah, I went down there today. We were there and went down there and the kids got muffins. They were wanted a snack and they said they were terrible. And they're like, why can we not have Tim Hortons? And I got no answer. I felt like their cat died. Like I felt really bad. I didn't know what to say. Well, you mentioned the, the rinks
1: and I just wanted to say, you said the roof kind of leaks, but <laughs> to, to paint the picture, the one rink is the big rink where there's way more seating and the Cougars play there and the Patsies yeah. and stuff like that. There are literally... 30 tarps on the roof look There'll up thir- next time you're there there's 30, probably
3: 31 30 tomorrow tar- and they see the one that i found tonight. like i
1: think they maybe got some of these tarps when they tore down 10 city at city hall and got a discount on them and started <laughs> <laughs> like it is literally a quote-unquote state-of-the-art facility that has like 30 plus tarps but to keep the roof from leaking
3: but to shink's point i mean Who's sitting around and they're going, what can we do to make the rink better? I, I got it, I got it. Let's get rid of Tim Hortons. And everyone goes, fuck, that's a great idea. That is a great idea.
2: Like, Who's so there has things? to be more. There has to be more to that story, Erno. It, it, there probably is. Oh yeah, but don't overthink it. Like right. legit, what if Tim Hortons wants more money? Give them more money because it's a comfort thing for the thousands upon thousands of people that go to your rink. So what are you going to do? Like you're gonna do your own thing now. And so are they gonna put their own little food court there? Subway's still there.
3: So they have there's a I'm not kidding you. There is a tent there. It is oh. like a oh, tent God. with tables, and they got like the big brown coffee bots, what do you to call them, that you wow. get coffee out of, and then they got like muffins and donuts on the table that you could just pick that one, pick that one. Pick. I'm not oh, kidding wow. you, we're there tonight. That's what you know. What? What, I'm, I'm I don't think that's permanent, probably, but
1: that's what they're buzzing wow. right now. It is actually run so poorly that I've I've come to think that maybe they're trying to run it into the ground on purpose. Trying because they want a new out. rink, could be. Yeah, by stock a new is... rink. I'm like, maybe they're purposely like screwing this up so bad. I don't know. I. So how would how
2: would you how would that work? So you're thinking that they want to lose so much money to get a new brand center, like to get a new big rink? Yeah. I don't know how that play would go down. Yeah, well, I don't if, know either. Because you would have to have major um, sponsors, private private investors yeah. into that rink and land, or you'd have to have some. And <laughs> why would you invest in something that's losing so much money? So I don't. It, but how but, is it losing that much money? It, it, it should not lose money. That's a fantastic question. I'd love, if anyone wants to ever come on the pod and chat about this, we would love to have But Anyone? Anybody. They're not busy traveling on the taxpayer money, but or whatever they're doing. So what, what, like, what do you, it's an, it's the biggest brand. Tim Hortons, safe to say in Canada, is the biggest. So if these guys ran, let's say the airport, would they sit down and go, we should probably get rid of WestJet? and air Canada and go with our own planes. Cause we don't need the, we don't need the national brands in here. We can do our own thing. Like I don't, I don't get it. So Tim Hortons.
3: Another, like here, again, today there was people who had come off the ice. we waiting. Cause our, our daughter skated and then there was a hour and 45 minute break. And then our son skated and it was just like, you know, not enough time to rip back to the North end. You can just hang around there. and, Every other time I've seen this happen, I've seen people go down. They're like, oh, just go down, grab a Tim, grab a sandwich, grab a whatever. They left. Got in their car, drove, went and got food somewhere else, and then came back. Like, it's just such a dumb idea. Like, I mean, like I say, I got a 10-year-old daughter that could run that. Would have known that that was a bad call. And she doesn't make 600 grand a year.
1: So, there's somebody who makes a lot of money there who actually owns part of the McDonald's. Yep. Don't know if he knew that or not, yep. but maybe that's where he wants people to go.
2: No, and that that would be the, I guess, part of the reasoning. But you mean when it's minus a thousand in this place we live in, you're going to get people to get in their car. T- hey, first off, you've blocked off half the parking lot. Let's keep in mind. They have, yeah, you have to park all the way to your car, warm it up, drive through all the potholes to the McDonald's, go grab a coffee, and then come back. And fish for a parking spot for forty five minutes, and then walk through that wind tunnel back yeah. in. Like, skip the dishes is is boom. Hey, skip the dishes. Tim Hortons front door. Good right. night.
3: Everybody like, chip in.
2: Boom. Done. Get people are going to be boycotting that. That stuff yeah. for sure. Gross. <laughs> so that's what they had—a tent. Yeah,
3: yeah, like one of those stand-up tents. Like if you, you know, what if you go to like a uh, yeah. like an outdoor yeah. food market? Like that's yeah. what it was. That's exactly what it was with the table and the coffee thing sat on there, and and a friggin' little basket with some muffins in there and some basket with some donuts. Swear to God, that's what it was tonight. Unbelievable.
2: That <laughs> is, it, yeah. So that it, I don't hope we painted the picture enough, and and some people out there might be you know mad at us for going off on this, but it's a popular Darryl. topic Darryl. where we are right now. So anyone coming into Regina for tournaments. No more Tim Hortons, bring, bring your own coffee, bring lots of it, bring the coolers full of it. This What's
3: thermos big... is everywhere this winter. Yeah. Big, big thermos yeah. guy
2: again. I dream, I boys, I dream of a world or a time where we'll be able to park behind the cooperator center once again
3: in our lifetime. Oh God. What a, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole nother tirade next week. Hey, yeah, save that,
2: that for that, next month. That's say that's a tirade or the real embarrassing uh
3: portion of the program real, real for high tech
2: profiles.
1: Yeah, well, let's get to uh what everybody or I shouldn't say everybody what some people would be tuned in for and that is the interview because I know a lot of people are excited about uh this guy coming on the show. I talked to quite a few people within Western Hockey League teams and every single one and most of them from rival teams from the Brandon Days couldn't say Enough good things about this guy, the Crim Reaper, a legend in the hockey circles and GM of the Vegas Golden Knights Stanley Cup champions. Kelly McCrimmon, before we get into the interview, our interview sponsor is Richie Brothers Auctioneers, fellas. It is always auction season, always buying and selling if you're in the market for anything heavy equipment or agriculture, transportation, construction related, rbauction.com get signed up and uh, get bidding unreserved auctions with the largest auction company in the world. Fall auction season just around the corner as well here. Lots of farm sales coming up, but Richie brothers auctioneers brings the interview with Vegas golden Knights GM Kelly McCrimmon.
2: Uh, Like we mentioned in the show um, and like when we talked with rear a, rear admiral on uh, from Chicklets, I said, well, who's your white whale? And I said, well, Mike Medano, but he doesn't do podcasts. I said, the other guy I really want to interview is Kelly McCrimmon. And lucky enough, we have him. And actually, this is the second time I've got to interview you, Kelly. The first time I was a fledgling sports reporter at Global Sports in Saskatoon. And we were in the bowels of the Sask place. And I said, you know who you are? You're the Bill Belichick of the WHL. <laughs> and you looked at me like I had three heads, but no, thanks so much for taking time uh, to, to be on the Monday nooner with us.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me guys. Look forward to it. Good to get on with some Saskatchewan guys. It'll be fun.
1: When you think of plenty Saskatchewan, Kelly, what's the first thing that, that comes to mind for you?
0: Uh, I think for me uh, growing up on the farm, always been uh, really proud of uh, you know my roots as a farm, uh, as a farm from a farm family. And uh you know, just uh, simpler times, right? It was, uh, it was uh, you know, hockey. Uh, of course, Brad uh, played hockey. I played hockey. My dad played senior hockey. So that dominated our lives. And then we loved farming, both uh, Brad and I. I uh, really enjoyed farming. And then just, uh, you know, just being from a, you know, a really small town, plenty was about 250 people. Uh, when we grew up there, we went, uh, that's where, you know, it, it went from, uh, grade one right through high school it was a real good school actually uh, in Plenty so that's where we went to school and then of course uh, as it works uh, if you're playing hockey you end up moving away at a young age so I was 15 when I moved uh, moved away Brad was the same but Plenty's always uh, always been home we went uh, uh, through there last summer didn't get through there this summer but we went through there uh, last summer and it's an area we're really proud to call home
1: so when you were growing up, did your dad have a rink in the yard, or was there a rink in Plenty that you went to, and and how often were you guys out there?
0: Uh, we played in Plenty, um, you know, and, and you know it's just a sign of how different uh, you know times were then uh, compared to now. So uh, you know, Plenty Dodgeland was a big rivalry. Well, you know, as time went on, you know, small towns had to combine to make teams, and then for us. It uh, would have been would have been Pee Wee, I think, where Brad and I both started to play in Rosetown as well, which would have been uh, I think B hockey is what they uh, would have referred to it at the time. Playing was B hockey, and uh, our dad was uh, playing and coaching with uh, with the Red Wings in Rosetown. So that fifty mile uh, chunk of highway uh, we do know uh, very well, and then that's where uh, you know just got us to a much higher level of hockey uh, when we went uh, went away to play in uh, in Rostown. I didn't. I didn't
2: understand until I kind of started researching about how close you guys were in age. Like there's just over a year, a year and, and however many months, but so that, that must've been so awesome being able to play together and and having that older brother, you know, to push you a bit. Yeah, it was.
0: And we were really close and, uh, you know, and again, times were so different uh, then that uh, we did everything together. So that was uh, just kind of how it was. And, you know, we lived five miles uh, from town so when you got home from school it wasn't like uh, you know people were stopping over you did your own thing at your own uh, place out in the yard or in the you know the barn or wherever you were uh, gonna uh, spend your time on a given day so Brad and I were really close we were one year apart uh, in school and then uh, in, in plenty we would play together uh, every other year in Rosetown. not so much because uh, he would be an age group uh, ahead of me and then as time went on, we did play one year uh, together in Brandon, which was which was awesome at the time. And then, you know, just given everything that uh, that happened, it was even uh, more special as, uh, as time went on. So you mentioned
2: your dad, too. And I think Brandon heard some stories of, of how he was, you know, a big senior hockey player. What When you go back and think about watching your dad and just watching senior hockey back then, what's kind of etched in your memory?
0: Well, Rosetown Red Wings were a great senior team uh, for many years, and senior hockey was was so good uh, in uh, in Saskatchewan uh, through those years. So, I mean, the Red Wings were uh, our idols, and uh, you know, I uh, always uh, credit a lot of the things that I learned to growing up on a farm in terms of you know the work ethic and. Uh, you know, the determination, all of the, all of the great characteristics that uh, that growing up on a farm, uh, you know, show a person. And then I learned a lot of things in the Rosetown Red Wing dressing room because uh, <laughs> those guys were uh, heroes of mine as a young guy. And, and uh, they had such good teams. They, you know, would have great rivalries with, uh, you know, with the Kindersley Flippers, the Battleford uh, Barons, uh, you know, the different, Uh, teams in Saskatchewan, then they would go out of province when, uh, after they won provincials, they would go out of province and play, you know, the winner of Manitoba, then the winner of BC, Alberta. And then they, at that time, it was the Hardy Cup and they would have went to the Hardy Cup. uh, It's now the Allen Cup. They would have went to the Hardy Cup, I think three or four years uh, that they would have went there. So uh, senior hockey was, uh, was really, uh, really big in Roastown and Saskatchewan at that time.
2: Just
1: how good was your dad? I heard lots of stories that he was he was an unbelievable player and you know maybe he could have been good enough to play some some pro hockey. How good was he?
0: Uh he was a really good player. I, I think uh you know probably really similar to Brad. I think Brad would have played a lot like uh like my dad did and uh, you know again it's a 16 team NHL and uh you know my dad uh farmed with my grandpa and uh you know they bought uh for that era some you know a pretty sizable amount of land and they just uh, really wanted to uh, develop a farm so he was uh you know married to to my mom and then you know then you know Brad and I so that was just uh, the way that uh that it was done at that time he played junior with the Saskatoon <clears throat> Quakers and then uh you know a lot of senior hockey after that but never ever played uh professionally I think you know I'm sure he could have it just uh it just wasn't uh wasn't uh, part of the plan at that time
2: was was he you know and nowadays right I'm one we see him all the time kind of crazy hockey parents what kind of parent was he when you and and your brother were growing up and playing did he did he push a lot did he kind of let you do your own thing did he teach or just kind of more let it all happen organically I think just let it
0: happen organically it was uh such a common thread through uh, our family. My mom was, uh, you know, a great hockey parent. Did a lot of the driving of uh, myself, Brad, and any other uh, players from our area that might have been playing in Town because my dad was always busy with hockey. And then, of course, uh, we had cattle, so uh, you know, he uh, his time on the road was generally with uh, his his own practices or his own team's games. My mom uh, and my grandpa and my grandma did a lot of the traveling uh, for Brad, uh, Brad, and I, but. You know, just uh, you know, always had uh, you know so much respect for my uh, my mom and my dad and my dad because uh, he played hockey, coached hockey, and I uh, I just uh, really liked how uh, he handled players, the respect that he showed for players, and the respect that uh, that they in turn uh, had for him. It was really evident to me, just even as a young guy, uh, how uh, how neat that was.
1: Go back to your own minor hockey days. Who are some of the guys that? Uh... Were Some of the other elite players in that west central part of the province, or, or guys you played against growing up that were just studs?
0: Well, Donnie Gillen was from Dodsland, who uh, Donnie and I are the same age, so Donnie was a really good player. Uh, Bob Hoffmeyer was from Dodgeland, who would have been maybe a couple of years older than Brad, so we wouldn't have played minor hockey uh against Bob but would have known, known of him. Uh, you know, Danny Bent from, uh, from Bigger was a, a really good player, Brad and Danny. Uh, both played with the uh, PA Raiders as 15-year-olds, which was really uh, in the Saskatchewan Junior League, which was really uh, you know uncommon uh, in that era. So those would be guys. The Moore family in Rosetown. There was uh, uh, you know, Alvin Moore was a was a great uh, a great hockey player. So he would be one. Uh, you know, I remember in Rosetown we would play the Saskatoon teams, and uh, you know, I remember. Uh, how good a player uh, Brent Ashton was. He was, uh, you know, played Saskatoon minor hockey. Again, we were the same age and, uh, you know, he was a heck of a player, a guy named Don Johnson from Harris, uh, uh, who uh, as a young guy was just unbelievable. You know, was just a really good player. And again, you know, I I don't know if I can properly explain how small your world is at that time. And I remember in, uh, uh, you sound like a real old guy when you start remembering like (laughs) 40. I remember when Brad played in the Saskatchewan Winter Games, and uh, uh, he'd have been maybe 12 or 13, and uh, and there was a team from the south was coming, and they had this guy named Brian Propp. and you know we, we'd only heard of him, right, and yet then you see just how good he was, right. So you know there's there's uh, uh, there's players everywhere, and uh, you know Brad was in his peer group one of the best uh, players there was, and then when we saw. Uh, Brian played just realized wow how good uh, you know that player is and uh, of course you know they went on to be teammates and uh, and lifelong friends so those are all neat memories that you have from uh, from minor hockey and uh, and what good times uh, they were.
2: You mentioned uh, you know Prince Albert in in the SJHL, so that's where you go in in seventy seven seventy eight as you going to start your junior junior hockey career. How do you uh how do you end up in Prince Albert? But I'm starting to look down the roster here and they do have some of those names you mentioned. So they must have been scouting you guys quite heavily out in that Rose Town Plenty area. Well,
0: it was a good hockey area for me. Um uh, when I was 15, I would have went to uh uh Raider camp if I remember uh, correctly, but then when I was 15, I played junior B uh, in Melford. So Melford at that time were an affiliate of the Raiders and, uh, um, you know, that would have been, you know, how I ended up in Melford. Then from Melford, I was, uh, in PA, uh, for two years, then Brandon for two years, you know, Brad had been in PA ahead of me, Brad was in Brandon ahead of me. Uh, you know, my dad and Terry Simpson were good friends. Terry was a real, uh, good senior hockey player, uh, with Shellbrook and, uh, and a real good coach, uh, with, uh, with Shellbrook as well. So, uh, in that uh, in that day and age, when you won the province as a senior team, you could pick, you know, three or four players uh, up to go uh, for your interprovincial. And I know that Terry uh, joined the Red Wings on uh, on a couple of occasions. So uh, Dad had a good relationship with uh, with Terry. So Terry would have for sure known uh, who we are through uh, through that alone. And then Brad had already played uh, NPA by the time I was uh, old enough to play there
2: that is really cool i didn't know all that about terry simpson and his uh in his senior hockey background if we ever get him on we're gonna have to go down that route but then um so then the next year obviously is it is the easy transition for you to end up uh being in brandon
0: yeah it was it was uh, uh my 17 year old year in uh in pa uh, brandon listed me at that time was how it worked uh then and i went uh you know, the training camp as an 18-year-old, which, uh, you know, again, in, in that era, um, you know, the real good players would have made the Western League when they were 17, uh, now it's 16. But in that era, it was, it was mostly uh, the top guys played at 17. The most common uh, age for a rookie player would be 18, and that's, uh, that's when I went to Brandon when I was 18. I've never uh, – I would never i do not think i had been out of Saskatchewan uh, into Man- across the Manitoba border when I went there. Uh, so, yeah, I went to training camp in Brown in my first year and then uh, made the team, played there uh, for the next two years. But my first year was the year that the team was so incredibly good. I think it uh, still has the record for the most points uh, ever by a WHL team. And it was uh, you know, Brad, Brian Prop, Laurie Bossman, Ray Allison, uh, Tim Lockridge, you know, Dave Stewart, Steve Patrick, you know, on and on uh, how good. Uh, that team was. And then of course, Dunk McCallum uh, as our coach, which, uh, uh, you know, just uh, you know was the perfect coach for, uh, for that team.
1: As somebody who grew up in the nineties, how would you describe what the Western hockey league was like in the late seventies? What was it like?
0: Um, well, it's, uh, it's such a big part of society now, how we judge uh, past events through today's lens. Right. So, uh, how was Brandon in the late 70s? Uh, I had the time of my life. I, uh, I couldn't have been happier. The Brandon Wheat Kings were uh, a great team. I was treated incredibly well. You, uh, I always remember Brad saying, and then when I ended up working in junior hockey for as many years as I did, I would tell different players this at different times. You know, Brad would tell you he played 18 years in the National Hockey League. He played uh, three years in junior with the Wheat Kings, two years in junior with, uh, with Prince Albert that the best time of his life was junior hockey. And, and that's, uh, uh, that's what junior hockey was, uh, was for me. And, you know, just great friendships, great teammates. Uh, you know, for me being from Plenty, Saskatchewan, Brandon was a big city. and had everything that I'd ever wanted.
1: So we had a guy by the name of Wade Redden on about two years ago. And he said he, he'll never forget that after he finished, he went to a camp in Brandon and your brother came back and he said yeah. that I played 18 years in the NHL yeah. and my time in your junior is the best time of your life. And I remember Wade, Wade saying that couldn't have been any more true. And he remembers hearing that like yeah. 30 years ago. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, Wade's uh, Wade's one of the best. I enjoyed uh, Wade, Bart, Nikki, the whole family, Gord, Pat, they're uh, tremendous uh, people. And Wade would, uh, Wade would relate. He, uh, uh, you know, and it's funny when uh, uh, Wade was such a good player, and uh, we drafted him. I think he went second overall, and we in the Bantam draft, uh, NHL draft, for that matter as well. I think, but anyway, uh, he hadn't committed to come and play. And uh, when he was 15, he played uh, junior A in Minster. And then that summer, we were <clears throat> we were trying to uh, you know get him to commit to come and play in Brandon as a 16 year old. And uh, <clears throat> his parents were uh, were reluctant. And I shouldn't say his parents, Pat was really worried about his school. She was really, uh, uh, really focused on his education. And uh, I remember my anniversary, is August 7th. <clears throat> I got up in the morning. I drove from Brandon to Lloydminster and uh, met with the family in, in uh, Hillmont, where they're from. Yeah. And when I walked into their house, I felt like I was walking into my own home in uh, in Plenty, Saskatchewan. It was it was just—it just felt like the exact same people uh, as uh, you know what my family uh, was, and then uh, Wade did come and play uh, as a 16-year-old. He won the Rookie of the Year in the Western Hockey League, and uh, you know, obviously, had a great <clears throat> career as a Wheat King and became a great NHL player. But tremendous people, uh, the Redden family, really, really uh, enjoyed my uh, my association with them.
2: So, did you have to sell them? On, on letting Wade come or once they kind of met you and you, and you kind of, you know, you guys are cut from the same cloth. Was it an easy uh, decision then or, or did you really have to put out the pitch?
0: No, no, they still, uh, they still wouldn't uh, come up And then I remember they came to camp and uh, you know, we, you know, he, he was so good. It's what he needed to do. So, so I, I, I felt comfortable he was going to stay, but I remember talking with uh, Path and uh, Wade in uh, my office and, you know, you're kind of trying to sort of proactively answer every question Pat could have, might have, had, had. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember uh, she looked over at Wade and she said, uh, Wade, have you got any questions? And he turned his head and he said, nope. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it, that was it. He was, uh, he knew what he wanted to do. And uh, once, uh, once she saw that, we were good to go. Uh,
2: okay. So you got, you got two years you play for the Weed Kings. And then this thing totally floored me. I was actually having a beer with, uh, with Huntsy when he told me this, cause I didn't know you go from the WHL to the NCAA. And he tells me that you're kind of one of the last guys that was able to do that.
0: Yeah, that was the last year you could do it. Uh, the other guy that, uh, that did it was, uh, had played in Cornwall and uh, it was Newell Brown who went on to play professionally and, and uh, has been an NHL coach uh, for many years as well. And, uh, yeah, it was just uh, you know a, a loophole that was there if you signed what they call a the schoolboy contract to go to college. And when I came to Brandon, Brad had signed one uh, because uh, he was really uh, heavily recruited by uh, by Denver when he was in uh, Prince Albert. Marshall Johnson, a uh, tremendous hockey man, uh, was uh, trying to recruit him to go to Denver. Brad wanted to play in the Western League, but just sort of as a safeguard, he signed a, uh, what they call the schoolboy contract. So when I went there, I did the same thing. And then because I did that, I was able to take a scholarship uh, to Michigan, which is where I went for the next four years.
2: That's crazy. So yeah, and you spent four years, I think, captain the team year last year. What did, uh, what did you take down there uh, education-wise? Business.
0: I took business at, uh, at Michigan, and I really, uh, really, really enjoyed it. It was... Uh, you know, such an eye-opener for me. I'm, I'm from plenty of Saskatchewan. Uh, the football stadium at, at the Ann Arbor holds 105,000 people. <laughs> and I remember at that time, that was as big as the city of Saskatoon. So, uh, you know, really uh, my dorm, I think, had 1,200 people in it. Uh, and, and, you know, after a transition and the first, uh, the first half year was hard. It was really... Uh, just so different than what I had known. I've been out of school for two years, so that was uh, uh, challenging to get back in uh, in that rhythm. And then uh, just absolutely loved it. Really, really enjoyed uh, my time there. Um, you know, came to appreciate uh, how great a school uh, Michigan is, and uh, really, uh, you know, just sort of even you know, you know, since then, just uh, you know, you know, just along the way, you you realize what a great. Uh, academic institution it is how big uh, their athletic programs are so uh, I was very fortunate to be able to do that I I I then uh, coached in the Saskatchewan Junior and I'd have players ask me well which would you which would you recommend would you want to go to college or would you want to go to the Western League and I always felt really grateful that I got to do both because they were both uh, incredible experiences uh, for me.
1: Was there ever an opportunity for pro or did the farm come calling that it was time to go back to the family farm?
0: Well, uh, no, I wouldn't have, you know, I, I could have played minor pro, uh, I guess, like uh, like some guys do, but uh, I was pretty clear in my mind uh, what I wanted to do. I, I think that uh, uh, I love farming and, and uh, that's, uh, I guess, uh, probably uh, surprising that I didn't end up uh, continuing to farm for how much we plan to do it. I got married after my uh, sophomore year at, uh, at Michigan. My girlfriend uh, Terry, my wife uh, today, uh, from Brandon, and uh, we just uh, wanted to uh, wanted to farm. And uh, you know, in in that day and age, our farm was a good sized farm. And uh, Brad always came back uh, to work on the farm in the summers as a as an NHL player. I don't think he ever wanted to run the farm, but he uh, liked to be around the farm farm and that was uh that was our plan that that's what we would uh that that's what we would do so whenever you know i was married or, or uh, uh terry was pregnant with uh, our, our first child our daughter chelsea and uh yeah it was uh it was exactly what we wanted to do when we moved back uh to plenty from uh from michigan was was coaching or
2: and and being a general manager of a hockey team something you always wanted to do in those years that maybe you're in michigan and brandon or was, was it not even on the radar
0: uh, not really. You know, I'd always, uh, you know, I'd always enjoyed the, the leadership uh, opportunities that, that you have uh, from sports. I think it was my personality uh, a little bit. It kind of lined up with uh, the things that I believed in. And again, I, I I did nothing but learn from the very best people. I, I told you the regard I had for my dad as a person and a hockey person. Uh, I played for Terry Simpson. I played for Dunk McCallum. Uh, you know without even realizing it you've just been you know immersed with uh, just quality quality people that just know uh, so much about the game so you know through osmosis you're going to have some level of understanding of what uh, you know leadership and running a hockey team uh, is about but no that wasn't uh, that wasn't on my radar when uh, when we moved back uh, to the farm I didn't you know, I didn't foresee uh, that. I you know, I thought that ship had sailed. I guess to be honest, I I wasn't. Uh, I loved the game. I had no uh, sadness or bitterness to the game, like sometimes guys do. I I felt uh, really really good. I paid for my education, and uh, you know, had uh, had a heck of a time doing it. So I was uh, I was in a good place. So
2: you come back, and then is that when the the Carrobert Tigers come calling to play in the Wild Goose <laughs> Hockey League?
0: Yeah, well, uh, it's funny because Curtis Hunt gave me the heads up that these guys like their senior hockey. <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, I'll go right with you. Um, so, uh, yeah, Robert, uh, um, we're in the Wild Goose League, which, uh, you know, again, it's uh, it's real good uh, senior hockey. It was really and, uh,
2: good back then.
0: Yeah, well, it was excellent. Oh, it was really good. And, and uh, uh, so I got phoned by uh, two guys, Nelson Fritz and uh, Richard Anderson, and they were – uh, the, the the push or the point people behind Carabert getting uh, an expansion team uh, in the Wild Goose uh, Hockey League, and uh, wanted to know if I was interested in playing and coaching, and uh, I was. Uh, I, I thought that would be uh, really neat. I you know I had tons of regard for senior hockey as uh, as I've explained. Uh, was uh, I think 25 minutes from uh, our our house at the farm to. Crobert uh, and uh, I said that yeah I would do it and it was uh it was two years and we absolutely loved it it was uh, you know great for uh you know socially for my wife and myself moving back that we uh, got to meet uh, a lot of really really good people and uh and we had good teams so it was uh it was a uh, really competitive um, which I loved, and uh, yeah, we uh, we had a ball. The one we doing, story I got fun.
2: about you from from someone uh, in Kalamart that I guess played for you was your practices were like a WHL or an NCAA practice, like skating and hard. And these guys are like, "Buddy, this is senior hockey." <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, they, they guys would have worked all day and everything else, right? That's how, <laughs> uh, That's how it works. But uh, I would do it right with them. I wasn't standing at the boards uh, blowing the whistle. I would. Uh, I would do it as well. So, uh, too dumb to know any better, probably is the long and short of it.
2: Do you remember? Do you remember any guys skating against? You know, when you're when you're playing senior there and some solid guys. I think that's that's the that's the era because I'm like seven, eight years old. Robert had the chicken wire, the yellow ice because they had awful water there. Back then, um but you know, and then like we talked about, that wild goose was good hockey. Like, that yeah, was a lot of. Yeah,
0: I remember. Uh, uh, well, Wilkie had so many saves, right? So that they were just a, a senior power at that uh, at that time. Uh, I remember a lot of the guys that we uh, that we had in uh, in Crawford. So I was a real, you know, a young guy to be a, a head coach in uh, senior hockey. I remember. Uh, Craig Slucer, who you know, I don't know what he been—maybe thirty-four or thirty-five. You know, I you know much older than I was at that time. But what a steady, uh, steady guy he was. Robert had the advantage that they could get work for people, right? So uh, he was a really, uh, uh, you know, just a great resource for uh, for a young coach. But I remember, you know, uh, what 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 relation would Arlie be to you? Cousin. Yeah, so I remember these guys. Arlie Ar, Schenker played center. He wore number three. Don't know, don't know why. Uh, <laughs> Angus Phillips wore number five. Tim Phillips wore number eight. I remember real good player could have played junior easily. Was a guy named Dallas Morell. Was a really good player uh, on our team. Uh, you know, we had Stan Bergen and goal, who was who had been a real good junior goaltender. Uh, some real good players from Crawford. And uh, yeah, the team did well. The, the team uh, did well. It was uh, <laughs> it was more fun than we could have ever uh, imagined. And I think uh, I think the people really uh, you know, appreciated the team in uh, Crawbert.
2: How does uh, how does North Battleford come about?
0: So I uh, did the two years in Crobert and uh, uh, North Battleford in the Saskatchewan Junior League. Um, we're looking to hire a coach, and uh, I got a call from uh bob Shepard. so bob was the general manager uh of the team at that time and he uh interviewed me to coach the team and and everything the you know, everything that i did in Crawford, uh i, I stayed rated in plenty right i just lived in our house in the farm and then when we got the opportunity to go to battleford um i had to move there and yet training camps started you know late enough still you could get you know the bulk of harvest done you moved away for the winter and then you move back in the spring. So, uh, you know, when I was growing up, my dad did that for a couple of years in Whiteminster. He did it for a couple of years with the senior Quakers. So it wasn't, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't unheard of. So, you know, we had a young family. We packed up and we moved to, to Battleford and uh, and 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 worked there. So now it's, you know, it's it's a you know, much higher level again. It's a different age group of players, junior hockey. And uh, we had a real good year in Battleford. I really, really enjoyed working for, uh, Bob Shepard, who was, uh, <clears throat> a great mentor for me, let me, you know, uh, do lots, uh, in terms of learning and everything else like that, but was an experienced guy that, uh, could help me with, uh, you know, all the different things that we, uh, that we encounter. And I thought, uh, he was really helpful for me. So, uh, that's what took me to Battleford, but, you know, again, every step of the way, you know, even now that I've coached a year of junior hockey, I had no intentions of doing anything but farming.
1: So you go, to, you go to Lloyd-Mintz. How come just one year in Battleford, then you go to Lloyd, and your team only wins 16 games? You must have had a, a tough squad, not a great roster you picked up there.
0: So uh, in Battleford, we had a good year. And then uh, I actually, if I remember this all correctly, I replaced Norm Johnson. Uh, in battle <laughs> and then, and then uh i'm sure you've had norm on your show different times <laughs> no yeah. we've had requests. a lot
1: of lot of stories that's for sure
0: <laughs> yeah a lot yeah. of norm stories <laughs> so so then i did the one year then norm bought the team so then norm became uh, the coach again so i went to lloyd minster you know just uh you know really good people there to work for but you know that just you know i got there a year after they'd had a really really good junior team right so they just didn't have
4: you know just a lot
0: of turnover it was a really really young team so definitely a different uh experience for me there and uh, uh so I was one year in, in North Battleford one year uh, uh in Lloydminster both in the Saskatchewan junior Lloydminster at that time was Saskatchewan junior right they've been Alberta junior uh, I think maybe ever since to be honest yeah
1: yeah and Todd McClellan he replaced you in Battleford correct Or shortly after, yeah, Yeah. uh,
0: he was the next man up. uh, After actually, Todd and I laugh about that different times, and then we became you know real good friends when he was in uh, Swift Current because we're both uh, in the same league, and he's uh, you know we've been real good friends ever since.
2: So then, now, now, do you have this itch to like coach and you know be a GM in hockey, and maybe farming isn't you know like are are now are you thinking, okay, I got to maybe pursue this to that next level, which is the WHL.
0: Um. No, not really. Uh, when we uh, uh, had the opportunity to go to Brandon, so that would have been in uh, 1988. Um, so th- this was different in terms of um, you know what we were. The decision we were making involved some trade-offs that weren't uh, that weren't perfect because we were moving. You know, the, the job in Brandon was year-round, right? So we were moving away from the farm, and I would have been, uh, I guess, 28 and uh, our kids were, I want to say, four and two, and uh, we moved to Brandon, which was my wife's home, so that part of it was uh, was good, and yet uh, those goodbyes were, uh, were tough. I've got a two-year-old grandson now myself, and uh, I say to my wife, Terry, all the time, I, I can't believe my parents uh, wouldn't have just been bawling their eyes out when we drove out of the yard uh, that day, so anyways, we go to Brandon, and then I still planned on uh, going back to the farm. I wouldn't have uh, I wouldn't have done that any differently. And then uh, a year into Brandon, I get the opportunity to be the general manager. So I'm the general manager, when I'm 28 years old. And then uh, my first three years in Brandon, you know, this is one of the you know the, the the people that you come across in your life that are so uh, special. So my first year in Brandon, uh, so I was in Brandon in the late 70s. They had unbelievable teams in the 80s. It was, it was a real struggle the struggle off the ice with the ownership it was community owned. The, the, the philosophy almost seemed to be, you know, have an old team challenge for the final playoff spot, you know, on a, on a year where it works out, they'll make the playoffs and lose out in the first round on a year where it doesn't work out, they'll miss the playoffs. So when I got to Brandon, uh, my first year, we, uh, and we have, some, we have some great, great kids on that team. So we've got Jeff, Jeff Rogers, <laughs> uh, <Kevin laughs> Javie, uh, you know, Kevin Javley, really, really uh, good character guys. Brad Woods, Bob Woods. Anyways, that team, we make it, uh, we make it to the game 72. We're tied with Swift Current. We play a tiebreaker game uh, in Swift Current and uh, we lose. And, uh, you know, Swift Kern, I think if if it was the team that ended up being the the team that won the Memorial cup in Saskatoon, you know, two or three years later, right. It was was just a real young team that, that developed and, uh, and became a real good team. So basically in years two and three, when I was in Brandon, we, uh, we just ripped the heart out of the beast and started over. We just, uh, traded away every, uh, player of value that we could. Um, so my second year in Brandon, we won 18 games and, uh, then, uh, my third year, but I thought, I thought the worst was behind us. So my third year at Brandon, we, uh, you guys will have these numbers in front of you. My third year in Brandon, we won 11 games. And, uh, and, uh, uh, that summer, uh, Bob Cornell, uh, who was the majority owner of the team, uh, came to me and, and sold me a third of the team. So now I'm 31 years old and, uh, uh you know, coming off an 18 win season an eleven-win season, and Bob Cornell saw enough in me that you know he really believed in you know what we were trying to do. He could see it was gonna uh, it was gonna uh, happen, and uh, sold me a third of the team. So when when we bought into the team here, uh, you know that was when I knew uh, I wasn't going back to the farm. So that was you know bittersweet a little bit. I mean, uh, you know, crazy to have that opportunity. Uh, hockey wise with uh, ownership and uh, being a general manager in the Western Hockey League and yet some sadness because uh, of what it meant uh, that we were leaving behind. And, you know, from that, uh, that point on, it's, uh, it's been hockey every day. Jeez.
2: That, I, I, yeah. I've always wondered the story on, on, you know, the ownership. So, you know, you have those, those lean years and, you know, I guess it's probably hard to say, but, your philosophy what do you learn those you know those formative years where you're doing this in brandon that absolutely you know makes you i think the the winningest chl you know manager in history or team like what what do you learn along the way and how to build these wagons in brandon
0: well you have to uh you know reflect on it again some of these things you don't have the perspective as you're living it in the moment as a young guy. Yeah. But, um, you know, when I tell you here, uh, you know, 40 years, 35 years later, uh, these stories are kind of funny when you're 30 and 31 years old and your team is struggling that badly and you're committed to what you're committed to it, it uh, you know, definitely tests your resolve. And I think that's, uh, something that I've always, um, been able to do pretty well is to, to shut out the noise and the criticism that, uh, that comes with uh, decisions that aren't popular or your team when it's uh, not uh, where your fan base uh, wants it to be. So certainly that was part of it. And uh, that's hard. Like that's, uh, you know, you're, as I said, a young guy, you've got players that are trying to move on and play professional. You've got players that are trying to win. They want to have fun doing it. It's not fun. Uh, when it's happening and then uh, you know when we at the end of that third year I heard Bobby Lowe's and uh, Bobby came in and coached the next nine years and, and we had unbelievable teams it was uh, the, the, his first year um, we set the record for the largest improvement by a team in Canadian hockey league history I think we were 65 points uh, better than what we were the year previous and I remember joking at the time uh, saying that not many general managers can say they were on both teams, right? Usually, <laughs> if, if you're the guy that <clears throat> drove it in the ditch, you didn't get to. You didn't get to be on the second team. So, uh, Bobby was a great coach, great friend. Works for us in and uh, in Vegas, and uh, you know, again, was just exactly what we needed. He was uh, he was no nonsense, uh, such a smart hockey guy. I think uh, under appreciated by some people just how intelligent uh, Bobby is and how he sees the game so quick. He just knows uh, so fast what's, uh, what's going on uh, in a game of hockey as a coach, as a scout, uh, he, he gets it uh, and he gets it quick and, uh, and is a great friend. So that, uh, you know, that was when we, <clears throat> when we really got it turn. And by the time, you know, I used to say this to Bobby because for me, you know, Bobby was as good of a coach as, all of the good coaches that left the Western league and went and coached professionally. And I know, you know, Todd, Mike Babcock, those guys were same era as Bobby and, uh, you know, moved on and had great uh, professional careers. I always thought Bobby was just as good, but you know, Bobby wasn't a self promoter. I wasn't a self promoter, but by the time, uh, you know, by the time I was 36 years old, uh, we'd been to the Memorial cup twice. By the time Bobby was 33 years old, He'd coach a team to two uh, to two Memorial Cups. That's uh, that's pretty good. Uh, that's pretty good uh, on a, on a guy's resume. But you know you know neither one of us had a resume either, right? We were just working where we were working, and that's uh, uh, that's just kind of how uh, we were wired. We were kind of you know that's just how we were. We uh, we liked working where we were working.
1: I don't expect you to retell this story but I think Chris Dingman told a story one night that uh, Bobby Lowe's got into it with the scorekeeper in the Crush Cannon, Moose Jaw when he let time run off after you guys had scored the tying goal do you remember that?
0: Well yeah, they cheated. Okay, is what they did. <laughs> let time so uh when you, when you said Chris Dingman told you the story I was almost going to cut you off and say it's likely not true. <laughs> but in this case, in this case uh Dinger does speak the truth and uh I remember Mike was coaching Moose Jaw and uh, uh, it's funny, you guys maybe are too young. Some of your listeners might remember at Moose Jaw and the Crush Can, they had uh, uh, the gold judges uh, sat in little wooden boxes, right? And uh, uh, so we had, a, we had a, a, a face on, like 12 seconds left or something. And like we clearly scored. Like we, we clearly scored. I don't think there's any question. I remember Brad Meyer was referring. <laughs> and, and, uh, there's a former I mean, guest yeah anyways uh uh so we scored and uh they didn't count the goal or whatever and, and bobby was uh was so mad and he was out on the ice running after uh brad meyer and uh i remember uh, <clears throat> dinger picked him up and he had like this and you could just sort of see his legs he, he couldn't get him on the ice he was just spinning his wheels <laughs> and uh then I went on the ice and then I remember chasing Brad Meyer down the hallway and the other side and uh it was a crazy, crazy night in the crush can. Not not uh, not the only crazy night in that building, but I remember I was standing I was standing at the glass and uh I remember uh pushing the gold judge's uh booth there and it was rocking back and forth and uh it didn't go it didn't tip over. But yeah, that was uh, that was quite a night
2: uh Meyer told the story about getting chased out of Flynn Flon and getting in his uh, Chevy Cavalier and getting out of town. He yeah. probably do the same thing in and, yeah. and Moose uh, I'm, sure, uh, I'm sure he remembers it. Sure <laughs> he remembers. Um, you know, so I I remember too. It was like the weirdest thing, and I didn't really get it in, until I was actually working at Global and. You guys are so good. I think the blade did to play a couple years. You guys had to always move out of the rink because of the egg days or whatever, that first round of the playoffs. It's fair. Yeah. We, we had, we had, when we had Ray Ferrero on, he tell, he tells a story about like, they played in Verdon or somewhere. It was like yeah. a weird, like where, you know, where was the weirdest maybe place that you guys thought you might have to play a, a first round series or a few games in all those years of that?
0: Well, it happened to us a lot because we made the playoffs, yeah, uh, you know, pretty much every time, every year, and uh, yeah, it was the Royal Manitoba Winter Fair, which is one of the best uh, in the country. Um, yeah, it, uh, it it happened right as as the playoffs started, so um, it it just it never uh, it, it never lined up. So we always if, if we have home ice. You know, we could play two, three, two. If we didn't have home ice, well now we got to find a place to play you know three, four and six, right? So we, we made really good use of the Winnipeg Arena and uh, we had some great games in the Winnipeg Arena. Some really, really good games against, I remember playing PA in there, Saskatoon, Regina in there, just had great series in there. and it was at because it was at spring break, a lot of our Brandon fans would would make a make a trip, right? They'd go to the games in Winnipeg. So at the arena, we would draw well, and uh, the configuration of the arena—they had kind of the two upper decks that they had built on, but the but the main bowl uh, had really good atmosphere. If you had six thousand people in there, it had really good atmosphere. So we played there uh, for the most part. I was never involved in the bird, and I think when I played, we might have played a game in Lloydminster, but uh, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, Winnipeg was always where we went. Yeah. So then, uh, uh, the, the, the jets came back and the team, the moose went down or pardon me, the jets went downtown and obviously the arena was uh, no longer in use. So we played our games at, uh, the MTS center as it was called, uh, then, but we never drew nearly as well. And it's just, it's just enough further into the city. I don't know how well, you know, Winnipeg, but mm. I just don't think Brandon people were as comfortable, Uh, coming. So we didn't draw as well. So we did that kind of out of necessity, but it never, ever had a great feel to it. Well, then the Jets moved the Moose back from St. John uh, to Winnipeg. So now you've got two pro teams in there. There just isn't the dates uh, for it to work. So then we played uh, a couple of years. Uh, So this would have been after, this would have been when I still owned the team, but was uh, working in Vegas. We played two years in, uh, in Dauphin. Uh, was where we played but it was a, it was a you know a real challenge every year and uh you know to an outsider it just would make no sense why would you not uh, move the winter fair and I always used to say it'd be easier to move Christmas <laughs> than uh, than the winter fair and uh it's just a really prestigious event and yeah. uh you know now it just the, the the little uh you know kind of benefits the WHL have gone a week later with or the CHL have gone a week later with the memorial cup well that makes the regular season a week later that kind of takes this problem away so fortunately for their uh, ownership here in brandon now uh it won't be the problem but yeah we uh we dealt with it every uh every year the year we went to the memorial cup in 1995 in uh in uh kamloops uh they had they all they had the winter fair then they had world curling so we are we are building for 35 days we never played uh, we never played a home game so to get through uh, four rounds of the playoffs and make it to the Memorial Cup without having the building for 35 days was uh, pretty amazing.
1: One of the other guys that we had on the show a couple of years ago that played for you, Jordan Tutu, we asked him about his uh, favorite Kelly McCrimmon story and he brought up a day when he slept through a practice on Sunday morning. And uh, you, he said he was in your office a lot first off, but he said you called him in and just absolutely came unglued on him and he stormed out, he said, and you chased him down the hall and he ended up demanding a trade is how he he remembers it, and you suspended him for a week, and then you brought him back and said, "I'm not trading you and um that's he said that was he honestly said that was one of the moments when he realized that you were somebody that believed in him that he could you know get to the next level and maybe nobody else uh nobody else had told him that or believed in him but what do you think about when you think of Jordan tutu and his his time for you and Brandon <clears throat>
0: Well, he would be uh, he he'd be the most popular player that ever played here. Um,
1: were you going to trade but, him, or were you never going to trade him?
0: No, I I got run <laughs> out of town. Uh, no, Toots was uh, such a great story, right? And I remember the the Bannum draft that year. He moved down from none of it to I want to say Spruce Grove, one of the one of the areas just outside the city of Edmonton. Yeah. And, uh, you know, our scouts really liked him. And I remember that year that uh, his Bannon draft year, we were on our way. We were in the finals. I think we were on the way driving uh, west. I can't remember where we would have been going. And I remember getting off and watching him play at the Alberta Cup. It was in Lethbridge that year. And uh, he just, like, there was no one else like him. And he was, you know, he was a smaller guy, but there was just no one else like him. And you just, uh, when we, I remember Al McPherson who, uh, ran our draft for many, many years uh, and, and if you're wondering why Leakings were always good that would be uh, the first place to start was with, uh, with Al um, when we went to do our draft list, we just kept moving them up. We just kept, you know, we'd have them here and then we'd talk about them some more we'd move them up a little bit more, move them up a little bit more and uh, we ended up taking them, I think in the third round, you know, the next year would have been his uh, 15-year-old year. He came down and played uh, in OCN and then 16, 17, 18, 19, he played with us. And, and uh, you know, all of these players, uh, you know, have a culture shock to some extent when they come to the Western Hockey League. It's different than where uh, where they've been uh, and, and never more so than, uh, than Toots. He was from uh, rank and inlet and none of it. And, uh, you know, just such a different way of life to what uh, he'd, he had known or how he had been raised. You know, he'd only played, you know, by this time, you know, two or three years of organized, uh, hockey. And, uh, he, uh, you know, our, our fans just fell in love with him. And he was such a good junior. He was so physical, so entertaining. And then, uh, when he was 19 and he made, uh, you know, he had 50 goals when he was 19. And when he made the world junior, you know, then the whole country realized what, uh, what Jordan was. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I I really enjoy Toots. I admire him. I'm happy uh, he's in a good place with uh, his wife and their girls. Um, Toots is a, Toots is a really good person. I, I've got a ton of regard for him. We weren't trading Jordan Tutu. I can uh, I can tell you I can tell you
1: that <laughs> he said he was a little shocked at the pay cut he got from OCN to Brandon though.
0: Yeah, it probably would. Be. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably true. I mean, yeah. we watched, uh OCF won the MJHL that year and they played Esteban yeah. in the uh, provincial and I remember going to the games in Esteban and oh my god, they they had a following it was quite a series
2: um, This might be a tough one to answer, but I, want, I was wanted to ask you was there a WHL kid all those years that wasn't on the radar, nothing, maybe came into camp and you just followed your gut on him and he turned out to be a, a hell of a WHL player
0: Yeah, we had quite a few of those. We had quite a few of those guys. Matty Calvert didn't play until he was 18. Um, Was an unbelievable junior. Uh, Another guy, really good story, Mike Furland, uh, who didn't – he played house league hockey until – played a year midget. We listed him in midget, and then he uh, made our team at 17 and was a really, really good uh, player for us. Um, you know, Peter Schaefer, I always felt, uh, from uh, waiver and I always felt was one of the most talented players we ever had, uh, in, in our organization. And he was a guy that, you know, was under the radar a bit. I remember we listed him at the Regina Badminton tournament at, uh, at that time, uh, was where, uh, we listed him. So, uh, there's, there's lots of, uh, you know, there's lots of players like that. And, you know, the one thing not to hop in the soapbox, but. You know, development isn't a straight line and it happens for different players at different ages. And, you know, I look at uh, Zach Whitecloud who plays for our team in Vegas. He's uh, fifth year in the NHL maybe now and uh, just a really good NHL defenseman. He's on a six year contract uh, with our team. He's from Brandon and the reason I bring him up is uh, we were just talking. Uh, he had his day with the cup here uh, last week and, uh, you know, was cut from the midget triple A team at 15, played high school hockey. He was cut from the triple A midget team at 16, uh, went and played in Portage and a team called Central Plains, which you can do if you're cut. At 17, he didn't even know if he was going to try out for the midget team in Brandon. He did. And I remember watching him that year. He was a 17-year-old playing triple A midget. And usually most kids that are going to move on to junior by 17, if they're going junior A or major junior, they're, they're usually – uh, at that next stop. And I remember thinking, you know what, this guy can maybe play, uh, can maybe play junior A hockey. He was listed by Burton and the MJ. I thought he could maybe play at that level. He did that for two years. He went to, uh, you know, a small school in Bemidji for two years. We signed him as a free agent two years in the American League. And, uh, you know, now he's a real good NHL player. So, it, it, it uh, you know, as I said, develop development isn't a, isn't a straight line at all. I use the example of, you know, Matty Calvert, the day of the Bantam draft, Maddie Calvert was five foot one. Yeah. Uh, our goalie in uh, Las Vegas, Aiden Hill, uh, who I think is six, five, uh, didn't get drafted in the Bantam draft because he was too small. So, you know, there, there's, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it disappoints me or I guess saddens me when sometimes, uh, you know, people put too much stock in, Uh, You know, they're not at this point by this age, uh, you know, all is lost. It's not the case. It's uh, uh, there's still a lot of hockey left to be played and a lot of development there for the guy that wants it.
2: Yeah. I played, uh, I played in that Regina Banton tournament, Kelly. We're both seventy sevens, me and pay, Peter, and uh, you yep. didn't take me. So yeah, thanks. Well, thanks I for. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Um, are late you? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Late, late bloomers, right? Are you a creature of habit, or uh, do you like to kind of freewheel on things? Do you know work and personal life, or you know, there's the analytics nowadays and all that. But you know, do you kind of follow your gut and freewheel, or are you kind of a creature of habit?
0: Um, i think there's pretty uh pretty good rid- pretty good protocols uh, in place for making decisions at the national hockey league level i think that uh, you know you'd be f- foolish not to use the resources around you and uh, we don't make uh, we don't make an, a move in our organization without knowing uh, what it means analytically and yet it doesn't dictate what we do we want to know it's uh it's uh, uh, information that's available that's uh, not subjective, it's uh, objective, it is what it is. It's, uh, you know, our, our people present it uh, in a manner where they're not trying to jam it down our throat. They're trying to make us aware of something that they see that maybe, uh, you know, to, to a person's eye they don't see. So uh, I would tell you that more often than not, we see what they see. So it's not, uh, it's not, it's not hard to work together uh, at all. And then, uh, you know, that's that's part of being a, a, a decision maker is there's going to be a point where, you know, you've uh, got input from uh, your organization, from your pro scouts or your amateur scouts, whatever it is that you're uh, deciding. You've got where uh, things are from hockey operations and analytics, and someone still has to make the decision. So I think the key is to have the most information you can, but then... Uh, a lot of these decisions are hard. A lot of these decisions are hard. We've had to make a lot of them in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, be- because we do them, uh, that sure didn't mean they were easy, but if, if you believe, uh, in, in doing what you think is right for your team, then you, you have to, uh, you have to do that. And that's, uh, that's how we run our organization and that was part of what was, uh, rewarding about seeing our team uh become a champion we stood for uh the things that we believed in and uh felt we were uh, doing the right things and uh and we were
2: how did vegas come come about for you like take if you can tell that story quickly like was yeah. it a you know a long process something quick because yeah like how did that all come about
0: well the you know vegas didn't get a team till june of uh 2016. George McPhee got hired, I want to say July 15th uh, of that same year. Uh, he would have called me. I never knew George at all. i never talked to him in my life. Had no wow. past uh, history with him. Hadn't uh, spoke to him by phone or, or any, uh, any other way. And uh, he called me uh, late July. And we talked uh, in the morning. Uh, he called me back again um, shortly after 5 that day. And I thought to myself, and I and I, I had some discussions going on with some other teams, and I told George that uh, at the times I didn't want to, you know, mislead uh, anyone. So uh, he then called me back the very next morning, and you know I was pretty uh, sure by then he was going to offer me the job. So when it came down to making a decision about, you know, which job to take, uh, I was fascinated by expansion. I was really. Um, You know the chance to go into the blank canvas to hire all your own people on the pro side, the development staff, the amateur staff. uh, You know the the deep dive we did on all thirty teams at that time. uh, It was like it was like taking your undergraduate in the NHL in one year. It was was so fascinating the uh, the learning, the knowledge, the strategy, the trades we made. Uh, it was, it was an absolutely incredible year and experience. Um, that's kind of what swung it for me as to why I wanted to go there. What was so different as it played out is we thought it would be a real slow cook that we would draft and develop. And and maybe, you know, maybe by year six we'd make the playoffs. <laughs> so of course that all changed in, uh, in year one uh, with uh, the success uh, that that team had, but that's how I got to, to Vegas. And then after, you know, uh, we did the work in the expansion year. Then we had the two seasons, went to the finals, lost out the second year of San Jose. And then George uh, promoted me to general manager. He moved up to be the president of hockey operations uh, at that time.
2: We had Braden McNabb on a few weeks ago, and he talked about how much he hated the expansion draft. Ended up being a, a great thing. What was the hardest thing about the expansion draft for you? If there was, you know, maybe one thing or a few things that was really difficult.
0: Yeah. Um, no, it was, there was nothing that, uh, was, uh, it was, it was awesome. It was, uh, so much work, but, uh, so good for our staff. So good with, uh, getting a, a relationship with Bill Foley who sat in through, uh, the whole part and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a group of people put together that, you know, not everybody even knows everybody. So <laughs> there's a, there's a process of team building and culture setting and, you know what the organization is going to stand for, what we're looking for in our players. I mean, those kind of discussions uh, are really, really uh, intriguing for me. I enjoy that. So there was no uh, regrets of expansion at all. And then uh, year one with going to the Stanley Cup was just for me. What was interesting about it was we had, you know, twenty-five players that had been all pushed to the curb by their former teams. Everybody had something to prove. We had no hierarchy. We had no entitlement. We had complete buy-in to uh, Gerard Glant and the coaching staff. And, and the kind of the combination of that was really powerful. And I mean, that team had 109 points. So it wasn't like we jumped the fence. I mean, we, we had a hell of a year. And then, uh, you know, of course, uh, had you know, four rounds of the playoffs. We beat uh, LA in four, San Jose in six uh for me the best team the Winnipeg Jets have had was that year and uh we beat them in 5 and then lost to uh lost to the team George built uh, in Washington.
2: Mm-hmm. Is there is there one sports figure uh any sport management coach that you've kind of looked up to or you know taken some some things from that maybe had a chance to meet?
0: Uh well, I've been a hockey fan my whole life, and, and Brad played 18 years, so you obviously, you know, pay uh, real close attention to some of those, uh, you know, figures and, and people in the game. Um, there, there's so many great people that uh, uh, that you get the opportunity to meet. Uh, I don't know Glenn Sater. Well, I've met him a couple of times. I always uh, admired what uh, – uh, what he did with uh, with players and how good those teams were. I've had the opportunity to uh, spend time with Lou Landorello and uh, the respect uh, that he has. I look at a guy like Doug Armstrong in St. Louis, who uh, is a really uh, accomplished uh, hockey executive. I sure uh, enjoy spending time with him. George McPhee in our own organization. George is um, so uh, humble, modest, hardworking, uh, incredibly intelligent guy and yet, uh, just absolutely zero ego. Just, uh, just really, um, you know, got so many, so many quality traits. I, I learned, uh, I've learned a lot from, uh, from him, uh, and continue to, I always tell people I, I admire, uh, the humility of the general manager in the, in the NHL who are hall of famers. So when you meet Joe Sackick, uh, you know, it's like, you know, meeting a guy in the street and stopping and having a visit. When you, uh, you know, run into, uh, you know, Rob Blake uh, would be uh, another guy. You know, there's just so many of those guys that, um, you know, are very humble. And I, and I really admire that in people. I always have felt there's great strength uh, in uh, humility. When you talk to a Kenny Holland, who's uh, uh, in the Hall of Fame, you know, again, just a, another guy that's, uh, you know, really easy to, to have a visit with, uh, you know, I, I enjoy, uh, people like that. Um, you know, I really like, uh, general managers in the NHL. I really like how Julian Brisbois, uh, runs his team. I think he's a brilliant hockey guy and, uh, and he's got tons of courage. Uh, I admire, uh, I admire the way that he runs his team, but it's, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really good business and there's a lot of really good people in our own organization. We're blessed with, uh, the staffs that we've been able uh, to put together, and uh, you know, we consider ourselves awfully damn fortunate.
1: Mm-hmm. Imagine growing up in uh, Plenty, the McCrimmon boys would skate on their rink and pretend pretend they won the Stanley Cup. Um, what was that moment like? Obviously, when you're a kid, you probably dreamed of doing it as a player, but to to get your name on the Stanley Cup, and of course, Brad's name's on there as well. Probably a little extra special to uh, to share that with him.
0: Yeah, that definitely made it more special. And I think, uh, you know, it just made me so happy for my mom and dad who uh, are both, uh, both still alive and enjoyed uh, watching us uh, win. Uh, I've answered this question quite a few times uh, this summer. And the one thing that really kind of stood out to me, I've, I've described it as much as you think you know what it's going to feel like, you have no clue. It's, it's so much more uh, than you realize. And uh, just, <clears throat> you know, you know, I said, I said it immediately after, like to have uh, the people to share it with, with your family. Uh, my family was, uh, was all there, so that part was really, uh, really neat. Uh, you know, the joy in your players' faces. It's a hard trophy to win. There's so many NHL players that never get close uh, to having their name go on the Stanley Cup. So when you're on the ice and you see the joy and you hug guys and they just are just squeezing you, it's just... Uh, you know, it's 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 incredibly a uh, uh, special moment and a special feeling. And that, for me, was uh, was really what was neat. And, and uh, you know, I remember when Brad won the Stanley Cup in 1989. <clears throat> I remember because he was more stoic probably than I am. And uh, when they won that night, I remember how, how happy he was uh, on the ice. I just <clears throat> remember I, Rob Ramage called me, uh, a couple of weeks ago, when we talked about this, because Rammer was on that team as well, and uh, just how happy he was, and and when I saw the pictures of me the next day, that's how I looked. You're you're just you're you're so uh, so happy and and so uh, <clears throat> so proud that you uh, that your team found a way to get it done. I mean, Brad made it as a made as uh, earned right on the cup as a player. Mine's as a as a general manager, so it's different. 34 years apart that, uh, our names, uh, go on the cup. It was great when we had our opportunity, uh, to have the cup this summer at, uh, at Brandon, that, uh, you know, you get to look at uh, his name on there, your names on there. So uh, those are, uh, you know, incredible moments, uh, for, uh, for me personally, and obviously, uh, for our family.
2: Really cool. Uh, how we end these is some quick rapid fire questions. Maybe the first thing that, uh, that comes to your head when we ask some of these questions if it can be done quickly. So, uh, I'll go first. If you had uh, one or a couple words to describe a uh, two-time guest on the show, actually very popular, Jeff Odgers, What do you say about Odgie?
0: Uh, ultimate teammate. Uh, you, you could, you could go to war with that guy.
1: When you think back of all your years in Brandon, who's the toughest guy that ever played for the week Kings in your tenure?
0: I uh, might have just said him. Uh, Kevin Sheffield, layoff, was a really, really tough guy. Mike Furland, uh, Chris Dingman, uh, Jeff Staples, uh, those guys were tough, tough guys. Mike Furland, there was uh, something about the way he punched. He was so tough. I would uh, probably uh, I would probably say him. Sorry, Dinger, but I would probably say <laughs> Mike Furland. Uh,
2: when you go back to your young years, you know, Adam Peewee, Bantam hockey, what Saskatchewan rink did you love playing in?
0: I like playing in Kindersley. Good ice.
2: Uh, is there a song that uh, comes on in the T-Mobile or any rink that still gets you pumped up? Maybe it's one of those old songs that you used to wear up to. What, what, what song gets you pumped up?
0: Well, they do such an unbelievable job of getting you pumped up in that arena. But my favorite song is Viva Las Vegas because it comes on after you win.
2: Favorite concert you've been to in Vegas?
0: Uh uh i went to aaron clapton haven't been i've been to some ufc and some boxing but haven't been to any other concerts
2: what's your wife's favorite part of vegas
0: uh restaurants are great we uh we enjoy that and uh you know it's interesting and i know you're asking for short answers um when people ask me what's it like living in vegas my answer is always the same it's the exact opposite of what you think because when you live there you rarely go to the strip when I have people in my kids are in or or, uh, we're doing things uh, we'll go to the strip and uh, you know have dinners or whatever but you can you can live off strip and have everything you need uh, to have a real easy lifestyle.
2: Right on man hey thanks so much uh, for taking over an hour with us Uh, absolutely when you you say humble and guys that uh, you know you look up to it's amazing that you gave us the time today.
0: Yeah it was good chatting with you fellas Thanks, uh, thanks for having me.
2: All right, interview
1: wrap-up 2020, Geomatics, Malcolm Vanstone and his survey subdivision company back again. I don't know how many times this show I've said back on board, but if anyone's been uh, listening closely, I've said that a lot, and that's, uh, I guess, kind of my crutch word, but it's also exciting that all these sponsors are back with us, and Malcolm's... uh, Another one of those guys who said, you know what? I want to throw my name in the ring with the Nooner for one more year. So if you do have any surveying or subdivision projects you need done, call him, tell him you heard him on the Nooner. He would appreciate uh, that and would appreciate you
2: supporting his
1: Saski owned
2: and operated business. Absolutely. Yeah. Chop up some land with Malcolm. Ah, great interview. I love the, the going back with him and how much of uh influence his father was in his career and his brother. And I had no idea until right before we interviewed him, how close they were in age. But yeah, that guy is an absolute sasky gentleman. You can tell. And he gave us like an hour and 15 minutes. You're the GM of the golden Knights. You're on holidays for a couple more weeks. And you're talking to these buffoons from Regina. And guys and I...
3: going... What a great story. They like no, going go back though. Hey, they like, uh, Lots of times, they, you know, people talk to them now. They want to talk about the team and what's happening. What's your plans? You got to just reminisce and go back. The boys love that stuff. It's good. Yeah. People love
1: it. Oh, especially him with all the stories of senior hockey and his dad coaching and playing in Rose Town and stuff way back in the day. And I do think, um, yeah, I should say anybody who tuned in to hear about Vegas and how they're going to win back to back Stanley Cups or anything like that, I apologize if that's why you came to listen to the interview because we really didn't talk at all as you would have just heard about you know vegas or their plans or if they're going to win again or whatever there wasn't much of that going on it was just a good old uh good old fashioned bs talking about some good sasky hockey stories so yeah you can great hear guest. that
2: you can hear that anywhere else but you're not going to be able to hear who he thought was an absolute gut pick to keep on his team in the whl like there's those names that he rattled off, like the Furlins and guys like that were, that weren't even really on radar. White Cloud, yeah. you know, that, like the Zach White Cloud story. Yeah. I, I thought uh, that
1: was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, it's crazy. You think in today's day and age with, with good uh, scouts out there, like Shane Belter and other guys yeah. that are watching, yeah, you wouldn't think it'd be that easy to admit, like for a, I shouldn't say miss on a guy because obviously he just developed late but to get cut twice, two years in a row for midget triple A and then now be a Stanley cup champion. And yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's. uh...
3: And I think a lot of it from that point of it is if you've picked a guy, you really want to ride that horse because you've put so much stake in that into them as they, they really try to, and if there's no room, I've seen it, seen, saw how it all works and it's uh yeah, it is kind of crazy. It's sometimes tough to think outside the box, but uh, yeah, no, Kelly's a, obviously a (laughs) smart man.
2: Thanks for uh, the 2020 Geomatics, and thanks so much to Kelly McCrimmon for coming on the old Monday Nooner.
1: We got Senior Hockey Talk coming up uh, here at the end of the show. Interview coming up in regards to a team that's back in the Capel Valley Highway Hockey League. That would be the Belgoni Bison. So stay tuned. That interview is coming up in just a little bit and some other Senior Hockey news. Do you guys want to take a seat, son, for the
3: Rusty Shovel before we talk some Senior Hockey here? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. The shovel, the boys, they, uh, hey, you know, they've sold some product. I seen, saw that uh, Stefan was out with the Belgard guys. Belgard makes a brand of paving stone that he sells. So obviously he's moving a little Belgard product. Boys are liking them. So yeah, hey, get your orders in for the. Funny you bring that up. Why?
2: Because I messaged him, because I saw that and I was like, what the hell is Belgard? Yeah. Because I'm like, they're starting to brand, like I see around Canadian tackle football. They're branding a lot, but they have no, I'd have no idea who you are, what you are, or what you sell. That's and then he said, do. yeah, they're, they're paving guys. I'm like, yeah. they should maybe implement that in their brand. Maybe? I don't know, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I had yeah. no idea if there were financial advisors or if
3: they were a new coffee company coming into town. Ta- I had no idea. Still lots of time, Buzz. Still lots of time. If you want to do a little, maybe a little project out front of your, front of your little condo there, you want to get something done quick. There's uh, lots of time to get stuff done here in the fall. They'll go right till freeze up. So get your orders in, get Stefan a call. I
2: got a quick take a seat and it's myself. Take a seat to Barry for not investing in a construction company that does curb work years ago. Because if you see how much curb work is going on in Regina again, and I think it's at Wapple Construction, those guys are geniuses. And we have curbs again. If you're not from here and you're listening, for some reason we have a lot of curbs in the middle of our roads. Might be a safety thing, but I don't know why it's not a safety thing in Phoenix, if we're smarter than them or and then these things get repaired and they shut down roads for like eight months, and then graders will go and beat the shit out of them, and then they'll have to repair them again. Curb guy. I didn't invest in a curb business when I was younger, and I should take a seat.
0: Take a seat, son.
3: Boulevard guy, uh, Belt. You got anything? Take a seat to all the uh, Western Hockey League teams that are charging money for your blue, white, green, gray, black, blue game. Like, just do the do the donation. Let the fans and let the kids in. Ten bucks. Like, it's just, it's dumb. Like, just do a do a donation. You don't need to make money on that one game. Do it, and, and then you get lots of fans coming out, lots of donations. It's a good gesture and carry on with your life. And hopefully maybe you'll develop some fans and get some uh, season ticket holders out of it. Nice. I like it. Are those games all done now for the most part, belts? Like if teams have uh, those already or are they? There's a, I think there's a couple tomorrow and then that's kind of it. I know exhibition's firing up tomorrow too. So if there might be one or two, maybe tomorrow and then that'll be it. Things will be buzzing. Exhibitions Do you hit any,
1: hit any like pubs when you're in Lethbridge? Do you go back to your good old days and like tear no, it up or?
3: No, she was a, uh, Eight in the morning Business till trip. nine at night, a fair at the rink. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, ate good though. Lots of food brought in, and it was, yeah, it was good. It was really, it was fun and really interesting.
1: Any, really, uh, rink, homemade muffins or donuts, or any Tim Hortons in their rink? or
3: t- there was no Timmy Hose in the NMAX center, but it was right around the corner, like hop, hop, skip, and a jump. So we buzzed over there quite a bit. Nice, yeah, nice. No take of seats from you. You don't have Not any
2: hat guy? I got one oh. more.
3: Okay. okay, I got one. Yeah. More. I- Take a seat, take a seat to the freaking school divisions that do the staggered start. This pisses me off because my kids got to go to school tomorrow. And then Wednesday, they're at home. People are working like, fuck, it's over. Summer's over. Go back to school. I don't care. Throw them out in the playground the whole day. Then just don't stagger start them anymore. If you want to stagger start them, make them come Wednesday and say, it's like a free day outside. Just take my kids off my hands. I'm sick of them being home. Bring any sporting activity yeah. or whatever
2: you want. Anything you, you guys, As long as you don't leave that fence yeah. or that fence, go and nuts. They'd,
3: and they'd buzz all day. You can't bring swords. That's it. You can't bring your sword. Yeah. Okay. I'm good.
2: Yeah. No, no <laughs> weapons, no weapons. Alive. Anything else is good to go.
1: Yeah. Hey, this isn't a, uh, this isn't a take a seat, but I wanted to mention this earlier. I, uh, I watched some of the shows that rear admiral, recommended when we had him on the show, I went and watched some of the ones he mentioned that Blackberry movie. Pretty good. Have you, you've, you've seen, saw that one. And then the other one I went and watched was Blackbird. Have you seen that?
3: No. no, I haven't seen that one yet.
1: It's crazy. Good. Yeah. true about? story too. It's about a guy who gets bus bees, a drug dealer and he gets 10 years in jail. And then he gets an offer. If he can get this uh, serial killer to confess, he'll get out of jail. And it's based on a true story, and the guy, the main character, was actually the producer of the show. Like he, the real guy who got the guy to, or I won't spoil it, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, that was another R A. What's it called? Blackbird. It's on Apple, Apple Apple TV. I think is what it's on. If you have Apple TV. Or I don't have pirated, Apple.
2: I got I my, got rid of all big brands after real. I'm I'm no more Apple.
3: <laughs> we <laughs> we don't just, have a brand it makes just, too much yeah, sense. Yeah. Crab- is, you, there any, uh, is there any is there any crab apple crab apple shows we could watch?
1: <laughs> Do you, either of you have uh, crave or HBO? I don't think HBO is available in Canada. There's one I want to watch, and if anybody's seen this, message me and let me know. It's called BS High, and it's about a football program in the states. That was at a school that did not exist.
2: Oh, yeah. I know that yeah. story. I haven't seen the thing. I know the story you're talking about. I've heard about.
1: it's a wild documentary. Like, wow, wow, what
2: was the name of that team? Bishop Sycamore.
3: Bishop Sycamore. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's next on the mm-hmm. list. So
3: very cool. And I need you you take need what seat, but... you need what
2: platform to watch that one? Crave.
1: Uh, Crave. No oh, HBO. Hey, before we forget, fellas and this is a little late to bring this up, but I just wanted to give a shout-out to the fellas that are up in Waska Sioux. Uh Tyler Baker, GM up there, did the little golf uh, trip contest. Who won that again? G- Jeff Bedard. Geoff Bedard. Geoff. Geoff, yeah, 84. Not a bad 84. Not a good cool. 84, but not a bad 84. Called you 82. Said, you said he didn't l-
2: lose a lot of balls.
1: No, just on the first tee. After that, I I was nervous on the first tee, guys. And shout,
3: out, and shout out to Sean Stefan for imitating your swing. Like, he, he, <laughs> oh, did <laughs> he did that pretty good. He did that pretty good.
1: There's like probably 30 people watching me. And the guy's like, oh, I'm going to video you too. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And then I'm also like playing for money and like a game that's going on. I'm like, yeah, no.
2: <laughs> no, 84 was a good score. It was soggy. And you didn't oh, lose a lot was, of balls. And those it was crazy. Think that's the good thing. The greens would have been a little. You could really whack them. They would have been a little bit soggy. That's the only good thing about the weather that day. The, how many, uh,
1: how what's many the par on the back? Dubs? There's no. Isn't it like? Th- f- no, it's a 34, right? Yeah, yeah. The back nine is par 34, and I shot 40 with three birdies. So to put that into context, on the other six holes, I would have been like nine over on the other six triple and a double. And yeah, thanks. Thanks for the hospitality up though there though. I uh, also stopped at Elkridge, played a little bit of golf there. Nice spot happened in place, but uh, yeah, congratulations, Jeff. He'll be, what's he got? Two rounds to Waska Sioux? Yeah. With cart. Thanks to Tyler Baker for that big. I would, I would
2: like to get back out there on a less soggy day at some point. Do it. It's always there. It's only a four-hour and a half-hour jaunt. How many yeah. uh,
3: How many G-dubs did you get down that weekend?
2: Uh
1: Quite a few at Waskasu. Actually, that's when my game turned around when I started drinking a little heavier. Not going to lie. A
3: little guzzling.
1: And then I was not... It wasn't like a late night party trip, though, really, to be honest with you. When you're golfing 36 a day and it's cart path only and you, it's soaking wet and you like... So it was a bit of a grind. I'm not going to lie. Servo 16 up there. So yeah, there was a few for sure.
2: Speaking of booze, let's give a plug here for our spirit sponsor, Last Mountain Distillery. They got some new stuff coming down the pipe in the next month or so. It is, uh, and don't forget, they donate 10% of all their local branded profits to different Saskatchewan charities each month. So last mountain distillery, the local distillery in Lumsden, Saskatchewan sold all over the province and they use local products. They employ local people and it's not the swill that the other guys have. So support last mountain distillery.
1: Hey, senior hockey. uh, Well, we're getting close to senior hockey season, relatively speaking. Over the next month, the talks are really going to uh, ramp up. I don't have the exact number, but I do think for sure that the numbers are going to be higher this year for teams. We know we got at least one new league as well from last year. So it's a good thing we didn't print out the 12-league-114-team uh, shirts because I think this year we'll have 13 senior hockey leagues around the province. But there was a bit of a uh, – well, I don't, I don't know, I guess. I haven't heard – from the Sask East Hockey League, their potential side of the story. But the Esterhazy Flyers put out a uh, statement on Facebook. I'll just, I'm going to quickly read it off because I want to give this full con. I want to paint the picture as they say. The Esterhazy Flyers Senior Hockey Club is disappointed to announce that we were not accepted into the Southeast Hockey League. The league has stated that new and current teams are worried about roster o- roster overlap. Which is a new term, 2023, with Esther Hazy coming back into the league. The Flyers would like to thank the 42 local businesses that committed, it's a lot of businesses, committed to sponsorships, as well as 15 local Esther Hazy players that were committed for the upcoming season. The resurrection of our senior team has been anticipated by many past and current fans and community members. We hope to reconvene this journey and get a team back in the league in the near future. Um. Yeah, a few other thank yous and stuff to people that put in the work. And then they put out their uh, roster on who they had on board. And like I said, there was 15 uh locals to Asterhazy. But have you ever heard of a team not being welcomed back because of quote-unquote roster overlap? It's
2: a new one. I have not heard that term or phrase. Would it have yeah, been that bad?
3: Well,
0: well they, I don't
1: know. Uh, they're they saying they had out, 15
3: locals. Well, they sent out. They sent out their roster, like who they had playing, from where they were from, too. Yeah, they're all from Estevan, most of them. 90, so I guess other teams are
1: thinking like maybe they were going to lose some guys that they didn't want to lose, or um, I'm not sure. But the Sask East League has been so, it's been growing more than any other league. I know Priestville's in it this year, and they got like 11 teams now. So. Esther uh, Astorhazy is obviously located right in the heart of it, too. So I don't know. You know, I guess they've let everybody else in that stride to get in. So I don't know why they wouldn't have unless they had legitimate concerns. But
3: well, tell, them, tell them to call us.
1: DM
2: us. We want to know. I'm sure they will. I'm sure we will get their side of the story. So is there any other leagues that Astorhazy is or the Manitoba League they can jump through? Like I kind of know where Hazy is. Mm-hmm. Uh
1: yeah, I don't know. They wouldn't be there wouldn't be any Sasky leagues that would probably be too thrilled about making that drive outside of the Sask East. I don't think there would be a fit.
2: So that seriously blows for them. Like and they like the businesses and the bot and the guys they had. I just pulled it up on the old map. Yeah, the Sask obviously. The Sask East is oh does that Rand
1: mcnally go into manitoba or
2: yeah like that would be the only other possibility right you got i think russell's got a team in manitoba miniota we talked about them a number of times last year that wouldn't be that bad but i guess there's probably some of the other teams that are way down here that would say fuck that we ain't driving all the way to Estrahazy. that's super unfortunate well Yeah, Yeah. and then I guess Grenfell isn't that far, but then every other team in the Highway Hockey League, Coppell Highway Hockey League, that'd be a jaunt. Yeah, I don't know. They're kind of snookered. They're really snookered.
1: Yeah, so hopefully, I think at this point, hopefully they can uh, rectify it for next year and I guess come to an agreement that the rest of the league is okay with. But yeah, that's the latest from... uh, the Sask East and Esterhazy not much other news in terms of teams or anything. At this point, I'd say maybe uh, this close to the year, everything else is pretty much settled the way it is. But uh, one team we do want to talk about, obviously, is Belgoni. The Bisons are back, and we've got an interview here to tell us all about it.
2: Yeah, senior hockey soiree time, and let's talk to Corey Unser from the Balgoni Bisons. Senior hockey soiree brought to you by Great Western Brewing and Original 16. Sign your team up. Doesn't have to be a senior hockey team, any kind of hockey team, for the GW beer deal this hockey season. Just DM us. We've already had teams DMing us. We'll get you into the deal. We'll get you a rep in your area, and you get an automatic kickback. The more beer you drink, the more cash and kickback you get back from Great Western Brewing and Original 16. Thank thank you so much for hopping on. How the fuck did the Bisons come back into this? Everything's kind of snowballed here in the last few weeks.
4: Yep. It actually 100% started um, um, at the celebration of Tom McCallum. Um, you know, finally everybody all in the same room and, and, uh, you know, you know, when you have a couple pops at something like that, everybody's all in all the time. And, and, uh, the next day I just held some people accountable and, and then we had a meeting at the Balgonie bar and bingo, bango. Nice. So you were,
2: were you kind of the catalyst because you were the guy the next day that said, Hey, let's put our money where our mouth
4: is. I, I would actually say I was more the bridge. There was, uh, like, Dustin Cooney's been running it with the Jamie off forever there, and, and it just came down to a matter of, um, you know, Jamie got busy with his own kids, and, and uh, then Dusty was doing it by himself, and there was a lot of people that were like, well, I would help, but, you know, this and that and whatever, and then I just relayed who needed to help, and, and uh, you know, when Cooney said, you know, I need somebody that can do this. I need somebody to do that. And then you just, you know, marry the guy who's best at that and wants to help. And and actually, since the team's been gone for two years, um, getting help now to get the team back has been better than ever. Like, everybody's just more than happy to get the team back.
2: When we talk to a lot of the other teams that are coming back the Rolos and you know I think Doddsland and and teams like that it's it's a big thing for the rink right because the rink doesn't have that main tenant like the Raymore as well Balgoni, that rink is really busy as we all know cuz we still all skate there our kids skate there it's so close to mm-hmm. the city and it's a fantastic rink they even let kids on the ice early when when the Zamboni's done um so is that is that tough to now have the senior team come back and, you know, claim that Friday night ice or whatever it is?
4: Um, I mean, there there was definitely some negotiating to get the the ice back, but um everybody really wanted the team back. And one of the things that everybody is on board with as well is like we want to take it back to the old school, like when it used to be the the stardome and you know you remember running around in your senior hockey team too, you know, like we want to see all the kids there. We want it to be like a family thing. And, um, and I think that being part of the Prairie Storm and the, the young guys that are all coming up have all played through this whole minor hockey system. And now they're, you know, playing for the team. So I'm hoping that, you know, it's, it's going to carry into packing the barn night on the regular season games and not just in playoffs and provincials
1: what uh talk about the i guess commitment you've got from guys like you've got a, a a lineup that's good to go and you've got enough enough bodies committed to to make a go of it
4: 100 percent. there's uh you know it it took the committing of of one guy to bring a lot of guys in but uh the best part about it is is probably i would say 80 percent of the team is made up of local guys and uh um, you know it might even be more than 80 percent and there's a great group of of younger guys coming up right now that all have ties in the community and their kids are in prairie storm and you know they have a hockey background and um, their parents are still involved coming and watch games like there's excitement about you know not having to drive three hours to go watch your son play a competitive game again you know it's back in the local barn where it started a long time ago so, um, yeah, you know, the buzz is really good around town and, and really receptive. So when you talk about, you know, local
2: guys, is that Balgoni or is it, you know, Pilot Butte and, and White City? Because they're all right there as well, right? Yeah.
4: there's Well, because of the way that the rules work, um, like Balgoni and Pilot Butte will be considered, you know, like their home local players. So there's a handful of guys coming from Pilot Butte that have a, uh you know really good hockey background and then there's a handful of guys from right in Balgoni here and then um yeah you know they're when you've played you know what it's like you've played for a while you have some buddies that you know you'd like to bring in and play and then and, and you all just make it fit. Is it uh you know
2: we talked about it. I kind of I kind of joked off the hop, but you've won provincial banners. You've played competitive senior up until, like, I think a couple of years ago. You're a very competitive guy. Cooney's a competitive guy. Balgoni had those runs, you know, what was it, 10 years ago or whatever it was. It, it, it's going to be hard for you guys not to field a real competitive team and make a run at things, even though it's your first year back, right?
4: Yeah, 100%. Uh, and uh, we're going to be competitive. We uh, we got a lot of horses and and lots of guys that have played here before and lots of guys that are excited to be you know first time in the Bison uniform and and uh, there's definitely a culture here and guys aren't just coming to have some ham sandwiches and drinking the Balgoni Bar we're we're gonna try to uh, you know spray the roof with the champagne at the end of the year and call it a successful season.
3: Are you uh, are you running any
4: practices? absolutely not what are,
2: what what would be the vegas odds that you have to suit up for one or two games if the bench is short wow. oh.
4: like they probably like you know i'm thinking i'll probably get the call to go to belcaris on february 16th <laughs> minus 48 <laughs> degrees you know <laughs> but i don't mind that one they got a they got a good uh they get a good bar, it's right in the rink that you know, maybe we get a CFB 10 minutes in and go and pin in there for the rest of the game.
2: <laughs> <laughs> What's the uh, I'm trying to think, what is the furthest road trip for you guys in that league now?
4: Raymore, uh, they would be now, yep, yeah. because I think other than that, it would be Belcaris. Oh, really? Yeah, so yeah. that's the that's that might be that was the game. good about that? Like, you could bad. be out in the game and be back in the city by midnight if you had to be which never happens, right? It was usually noon that you had to be back. <laughs> <laughs> what about
2: uh, sponsors and businesses and all that as everyone jumped on? And I guess, like you said, yeah. you know, at the celebration of Tom's life, there's probably a lot of guys with uh, some deep pockets around there as well.
4: Well, I, I wouldn't say, you know, that we're doing it with a lot of deep pockets, but there's a lot of support. You know, we're, we sell um, some signs in the beer gardens and we got unbelievable sponsorship for the ice. The The town let us put five sponsors on the ice, which helped out a lot. Um, the town actually did us a huge favor, and for the first time they gave us a break on the ice to help us get back in, which was huge because that's your biggest bill. And, uh, and then we're lucky with the, the guys that are coming to play aren't asking to be... Paid a billion dollars a game to play. So that helps out a lot to get the team back going again as well.
2: Is there anyone uh, you know, on uh town council or anyone that you want to give a shout out to that that's really stepped up and, and helped kind of forge you guys in?
4: Yeah, there would be um um Sean McBain and uh Chad Schneider on the town board. They've definitely helped out a lot and uh got the ball rolling for exactly getting that ice spot back first of all um and then uh they put together a very nice proposal to help us out with the ice and all that kind of stuff so it was huge for the team what those guys did right That's on
2: great. right on man okay well we're uh we'll definitely come out to a game there because it is such <laughs> an easy drive no yeah too. absolutely well so is was- <laughs>
4: well yeah we we got uh we get Sherry down at the bar that's uh, gonna take care of the team this year again, too. So a we'll double tree down in Belgoni. <laughs> right on, right on Chaos. <laughs> Best of hey, luck. Sons.
1: Yeah, great to uh, have those guys back for sure. Nice, nice close road trip for us, like we mentioned here out of the city. Definitely gonna have to get out to a game or two in Belgoni this winter. Hey fellas, uh, one more sponsor we do have to mention here. Uh, before we wrap up and we we love these guys and this guy and and everything he's about GB construction Al batters and his team they're busy with uh construction projects all over they're uh they're buzzing as always and I do think they're actually hiring right now too another company that if you're looking for a gig go work for those guys I'm sure they look after you
3: yeah i I think I don't think Al would be a bad guy to work for that's for sure. Monday
2: Nooner merchandise brought to you mm-hmm. by Great Western or Great Western by GB construction we have to we are just finalizing some products
3: speaking Owls. of speaking of the merch uh comment I actually got a comment uh same table that night a couple guys that said they'd saw our merchandise and loved it said it was just great some of the best gear around so a couple guys said they even ordered some so I don't know
1: we got good, a couple weapons ship. out in Lethbridge belts that yeah. rep our stuff. Hey, yeah, your buddy there from Eston, he's always sporting the nooner. Boys love it. Yeah, so that's yeah, good. We do, uh, yeah, we, we do need to maybe get some more hats done up, maybe, maybe some more toques for the winter time. Those were a pretty big hit last year, those uh, goofy toques there. We'll have to maybe look into some of those for this winter for those minus 40 nights on the ODR.
2: GB construction's back in, so we'll make it happen. Right on.
1: That's it. That's Twirl 162. Enjoy September. We'll be back in a month or so.
3: Happy harvesting.
1: Later. Later.